0: You're listening to Within Intolerance, a podcast for machinists by machinists. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Protean Machining. And this week, I am joined by Josh Ogle of Ogle C- Component Design and Ogle Watch Company. Yeah, Is that you're right. Going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Thanks for joining me on the show. You have so much cool content on Instagram that I had to reach out. So let's l- let everybody know where they can find you online, what you do, all the good stuff.
1: Currently, the, the place to find me is just uh, my Instagram at Ogle Component Design. And uh, I also have Ogle Watch Code, but I don't really post there right now because I'm not working on the watches. But uh, it has some cool pictures and some of the watch stuff trickled over to the OCD page as well.
0: Great. Well, so everybody go pull them up. You can follow along. Josh, how did you get started in this? And how did you get to having your own component design company.
1: It's a very long and entertaining road. I, I got into the bike industry actually when I was, I was about about 20 years old. I was living in Boston and I was in school, I was doing graphic design and riding my road bike and I saw this article in uh, Bicycling Magazine. Actually, it was two consecutive issues. And I remember this, Uh, there was an article about the CSIPS and I saw this beautiful frame that I think Jeremy still owns. It's like painted, it had flowers on it. I'm like, oh wait, this is some young dude building bikes. That's really cool. And then. The very next issue was an article on Columbine cycle works, these guys, the Murphy's out of Colorado. It was another pair of brothers and uh, just incredible, beautiful lug work, polished stainless, like just, they really got in the details. Like these guys made their own tools to carve the edges of the lugs. I mean, really stellar stuff. And I was just like i want to do that like that looks like something fun to be a part of and so i this is when you actually just call people There's no email at this point it's 1990. so I, i reached out and i called john murphy i'm like hey john my name's josh i was just wondering if i'd come out and apprentice with you for the summer i'm really amazed by your work and i thought maybe you could use some help in your shop and that's something you'd be interested in. He's like, why would I teach you what I do is super defensive right away. And I was like, whoa, hold on a second. Like I'm in school for design. I, oh, this isn't really, oh, this isn't really my thing. Like I just, I, I thought I'd help out and maybe earn some money off one of your bikes, cause they're gorgeous. And he went on this like five minute diatribe, like practically yelling at me for wanting him to teach me all of his secrets so that I could then go and put him out of business. Like that was his whole concept. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Like I caught this guy in a really bad day. And I was like, Hey man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean any offense. I just, you have a good one or a better one and all, I'm going to get on with my stuff. And, and unfortunately, like I couldn't stop thinking about that. It got really under my skin. I'm like, so he thinks I'm going to put him out of business, huh? Well, fine. I'm gonna, (laughs) And, and I literally started frame building on a resentment.
0: Right. Um, that was the line that stuck out. In I, I was doing some research for this, oh, right and on. one the line that, that stuck out was like, oh, you started a company out of spite. And I was like, yeah, all right, it's, this it's sounds totally like a true. good story.
1: It's, yeah, it's totally true. I've done everything out of spite. <laughs> like As a pretty much lifelong concept, it's like, oh, you make me angry, I will do something.
0: I wasn't interested, but, but now I'm very interested.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Like My passing interest has now turned into a passion. to teach you something it it was anybody who's listening who's thinking about getting in don't do it for those reasons there's a lot of pain involved but uh, unfortunately i had an uncle uh, have an uncle who lives in eugene who was nice enough to like i went up there and uh, he's a mechanical engineer he's absolutely brilliant charlie and i kind of told him that what was going on he's like oh well let's make some bike parts and i was just like i don't even know where to start And he's like you just start like let's go get some stuff and i'll show you how to do it and i was like what do you mean you just start like i just didn't understand that and uh, we went down to this place called uh, the, the Center for Appropriate Transportation. And we talked to the dude and he gave us some material to make a stem out of, That gave, us some material. And over the course of uh, Thanksgiving weekend, my uncle Charlie taught me how to make a stem and I went home with this cool Philip Ray's stem. And I was just like, wow, I'm going to do this. Like it had that, like, that was that moment of like, I'm really going to do this. What
0: an amazing lesson to learn kind right off the bat too.
1: Right off the bat. You know what I mean? It was just like. It was just, it was incredible. You know what I mean? Like I wrote that. I actually, uh, turn around here. Yeah, it's still right here on the shelf behind me. The first thing I ever made. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's cool. It was such an empowering thing too. Because It's like when I was a kid and growing up, I grew up in cities and I didn't really have like an outdoorsy sort of thing happening. And uh, for me to make something that could take me away from that and take me like into the woods and into the hills, that was incredible. That was so liberating. And I loved riding already, but this is like a whole different level. You know what I mean? It was so much more than I... It hit me in a way I didn't expect. Yeah. So like a couple of weeks later, I'm telling my parents, I'm I'm switching schools and moving to Eugene. And they are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had no intention of staying in school. I was all about learning how to build bike frames and just go mountain biking. And at that time, you know, I was 20 years old. I just wanted to party and have a good time and get laid. And that was... I, yeah. I, I I got to do all of those things. You were a, a 20-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like really learning how to build bikes was, it took me a while. It's like I made a lot of stems and I learned how to burn a lot of metal. And uh, I, I it's funny because it's like I like everybody says, oh, you're self-taught. it's like, eh, it's such a weird thing because nobody... I don't think anybody really figures out all this stuff on their own. There's always somebody there behind the scenes who's, you know, either pushing you or helping you. And it's, for me, I had my uncle and I had this whole town of Eugene, which has an incredibly rich cycling scene. And I was so grateful and I used every resource I had there. And uh, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And one, you you took classes too, right? I th- thought I read that somewhere, that a frame well, building class or something.
1: Yeah. I, well, actually, I I didn't want to be like, I had this weird like, moment. As, like I didn't want to be the first... I didn't want to go into the class, not knowing anything. Like I, like I looked at, so UBI, United Bicycle Institute, absolutely great resource for anybody who wants to learn how to build frames. They offer classes up in Ashland. And I, it was pretty much the only thing I knew about at the time. And I was like, oh, it's right down the road for me. This is great. I'm going to do that, but I don't want to go in cold. Like I didn't want to be the guy who didn't know anything. So I actually built seven frames before I took the class. I figured, cool. I'm going to have a list of questions. Like I'm not going to look like the, I'm not going to be the clown that doesn't know what he's doing. And that was was a very big thing for me. You know, it's like I'm young, like I know like a lot of people don't have this at this age. And so I went into the class and I had a bike with me and everybody there. As it turns out, it really was meant like their classes are designed. You don't have to know anything about bikes when you go down there. And you will walk out of there with a frame if you have any mechanical skills whatsoever. I, it really, it was a really great thing. I mean, it really is a great class and the really wonderful people down there at the time. I mean, they're all still in the industry and they're all really cool people. And uh, but yeah, it was really cool. Like I mean, it was funny. Like they're like, "So you know what you're doing? Why'd you take the class?" I'm like, "I mean, I've hacked my way through a few frames. I just want to make sure that I'm not doing the absolute wrong thing. Like it's just because there's a lot of stuff there. It's like I wasn't. My uncle Charlie is a trained engineer, and I worked, or he's engineer by uh, engineer by education. And I he really he taught me a lot. But you know, I I wasn't an engineer. I was a guy with a torch and some files. <laughs> and uh, so the class answered a lot of those questions that I was concerned about. Like, where's the frame going to break? Where's I didn't know it's, I had just gotten started. So I didn't know, I didn't have that history of working in a shop and having the experience of all the people that came before me. Like, that's where I really benefited from personally from the class. It's like, cool. Now I get to find out from these people who have done this hundreds of times. What the hell am I doing wrong?
0: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of us have done that where you like over-prepare for something because you don't want to look like a fool and then you end up so you're like, oh, I could have just learned along with the rest of the class. This would have been totally fine.
1: Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I'm really happy that I, I, I like it. was cool. Like, I actually got to help some of the other guys in class. And I just felt like I, I like to go and show up and contribute. I like to contribute when I can. And that was that was a good opportunity for me.
0: Totally. So, so you yeah. had, you'd made these seven frames. You'd then take the class, yeah. taken the class. And then you yeah. started Jericho?
1: Uh, no, no. Jericho is several years later. Well, several, oh, wow. A few years later. Yeah, no. So I did, the first frames were under my own name, Ogle. And uh, I just, uh, I did that for a few years. And I, like the thing is I was kind of finding my way in life and I was still pretty young and I didn't really have a whole lot of direction or responsibility. So like, what's the word I'm looking for here. I didn't take it as seriously. I didn't take the commitments that I was making to people as seriously as I should have. So, So it's like, there was a lot of lagging and delivering stuff and I was fucking around. And I was living my life and making some frames. So it wasn't like, I really didn't have that passion to like the absolute best frame builder I kind of like telling people that I built bikes and I really liked riding the bike that I built like that was like the most incredible thing for me like I just mountain biking out in the woods in Oregon on something that just some of the best riding I've ever experienced even still to this day it's still one of my favorite places to ride and and being able to do that on something that I built I mean the very first I mean, if we back up a little bit like I remember the very first ride of the very first frame I ever built it was this soldered together, lugged front triangle, bolted on Amp Research front and rear suspension, and called it a day. It was ridiculous. Super flexy. It was, I didn't even bother aligning it. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to get on this thing and ride. I don't even care. <laughs> and that ride, that first ride on something that I made was, as much as the stem was like really cool, like that was the whole thing. All of a sudden now I've done the whole thing and it's just carrying myself down like a, this trail that I knew really well. I don't think I'd ever ridden it as fast as I did on the first, on that first ride. And it was just, it was, I w I was hooked. So hooked. Yeah. So I did that for a few years and then I just, I got tired of being in Eugene. The weather was great three months out of the year and miserable for seven months out of the year and I just had enough. And so I moved down to California. I actually did the move home at 26 thing. And my parents were living in Marin and of course, from one mountain biking Mecca to another mountain biking Mecca. And I'd been in Marin for a couple of years and a friend of mine from college, was like, Hey, let's these bikes, I see people riding them. You seem really into it. Like, let's start like a real bike company. And I was like, I'm not, I have no idea what you mean by that. Like a half real bike company. He's like, no, no, let's, let's make something big. And, uh, and he sold me on it. And I was just like, okay, that sounds great. And that's when Jericho started. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so at that point, like when I moved to California, like all the bikes that I built up in Eugene were hand files and a little tiny Burke horizontal bench, a little horizontal bench mill. And I uh, just wish I'd used to miter tubes. That was literally all it was used for. It was totally hacked together. I mean, I, you know, used a spray bottle for lubricant and it had a power switch that used to shock me every fifth time I turn it on. <laughs> and uh, it was so super ghetto. My uncle, actually my uncle Charlie, who, who taught me how to do all this, he found it at a yard sale. He's like, oh, this is probably something Josh would want. And uh, that, that little thing, I, that was my only machine tool for the first five years that I was building bike frames. And, and then I moved to California and I had a shop space and I, I, my my grandfather left me some money and I'm like, I'm going to buy a Bridgeport and I'm going to put a retrofit on it. Cause I don't like, I knew CNC was like where I wanted to go with it. It's like I had taken machine shop classes when I was in Eugene at the community college, which I recommend highly to anybody who's looking to get into it, like community college shop class. Yeah. Yo, you and ever. me both. I mean, I, it's just, that's where I got my associates and I, yeah. I,
0: it gave me such a head start that right? I, I exactly. recommend it to everybody. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: And the cool thing is like machine shops like cherry pick from the good school candidates i mean that's like the thing is like you paying attention in this class and somebody from the shop's gonna be like oh hey i hear you're the hot shot and offer you a job it's kind of cool
0: Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I ever, like, or when I have to end up hiring people, that's where I will go is talk to my old teacher and be like, who do you recommend? Who needs a job?
1: It, exactly. It's just, I mean, that's, that's the best place to, I mean, you want to show off. That's a good place to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I also, so I took the shop classes. I took some jewelry making classes. because I, I, I cast my own head badges on the early bikes. Like it was really, I wanted to be like the craftsman. But I really, it was a lot of fun you know, getting into those little details. And I realized early on that the details were what really, that was what really turned me on. Like lots of people building cool bikes, but. You know, I just, I'm, I'm very detail oriented person. So So, I
0: think anybody who sees your current products can (laughs) totally understand that and and see where you're coming from.
1: (laughs) It is, it has definitely blossomed recently. Like that, the ability to put the details in and yeah. So I moved to California, started Jericho and that's when things really took off. I got that Bridgeport against the advice of some machinists that I knew some people who I really, you know, respected. I was like, no, I'm just going to retrofit this. Cause it just seems reasonable. Like look, buy it, just buy a cheap UCNC. It'll cost you less money. You'll be able to make better parts, whatever. I'm like, oh, but this is what I have my heart set on. Like you just, you couldn't tell me anything. I was just at that age, you know what I mean? I, I'd, I'd been getting some recognition and I was, I was young and full of myself. And I was just, had to do it my way. And, and it was cool. Like I started making chain rings. Like that was the thing that I wanted to make. I just, I, I was riding single speeds a lot and I didn't see a lot of single speeds out there. Like there wasn't a dedicated single speed ring. And until I saw one from a uh, spot brand, actually, they had a really cool five arm one and I'm like, that thing would be really cool if it was only three arms, like that would be really sexy. So that's what I set out to make. And uh, that was my very first product was, uh, these chain rings. And when they came out, didn't even have a name for them. And, uh, they were just Josh's chain rings. Hmm. And then we, uh, we had moved to Berkeley to actually really start the shop. And I was listening to fishbone and the song came on called the suffering. And I was, I was programming the chain rings and I was like, oh my God, that's it. Single speeds, suffering. (laughs) There's the name. And it was just, it was that moment of like, like just is perfect name. Cause I mean, you you gotta be a little crazy to be a single speeder. So it, it fit. And, but yeah, the singles, the rings were very, were my very first product. And it was, I, I I couldn't make them fast enough. You know I mean? I had so much other stuff going on and made some really cool ones, but it was, yeah, I actually have one of the very first titanium ones right here in front of me. Like it's just something that I keep around to remind me about where I came from.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at one on eBay right now. That's pretty really? neat. Oh,
1: cool. Huh. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. It's, a, and you were doing that all on a CNC retrofitted Bridgeport.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think part of it was like, my concern was like with the bridge port, pretty much everything's repairable and replaceable. Like that's why I didn't want to get into like a big expensive CNC. Cause I figure I'm going to crash this thing and something <laughs> bad's going to happen. Like I just, I'd heard all the horror stories. Like I started looking at starting to look around and like the internet was starting to become a thing at this point and it's kind of like, Oh yeah, I I don't wanna I don't wanna break a really expensive tool. I was like nervous about it. And the funny thing is, like the first week that I had the CNC on it, I drilled a quarter inch hole right in the table. Oh no. <laughs> then, uh, yeah. The very first, the very first damage to the bridge port, just watching the head just plunge right down and being so freaked out, I couldn't even hit the E stop button. Like I it was just kind of like it hit fortunately it hit the end of its travel and the entire fortunately it was near the end of its travel anyway, so it didn't get too far in to the table, but it was just that moment of like, oh my beautiful bridge port.
0: Yeah. But I think that's Uh, the same, that's the same mindset a lot of people have about like Tormox as well. It's like they they don't have the power to really destroy themselves. So (laughs) it kind of makes sense that you would start with something like that
1: yeah well and plus i wanted to do other stuff i just i wasn't like i figured this thing gives me the versatility to flop the head over and do horizontal work or angles or who knows what i just figured that way i'm not locked into something and but yeah so around that same time i was still connected with everybody i had taken the titanium frame building class in ashland a few years before and i were buying parts from mark at paragon and i actually got a chance to buy gary Helfrich. gary Helfrich wanted to get out of the frame building business like completely he's like hey man Come by all my old shit. I have a milling machine. It's got the IBIS dropouts programmed in it. It's got a bunch of titanium, like just take all of it. And it was just, the machine was this old, this beat up old Herco, but you know, it ran. It was a cool machine. So we got into the shop and I had no idea what I was doing with that thing. Like the Bridgeport was a conversational control and I had taken a lathe class, a CNC lathe class at the community college in Marin. But this, this. Oh man, that machine was just it was a pain in the ass. And,
0: and Herco's you know. different enough from like a standard control too that it, it's got its own flair.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I mean it's it's easy to program like the conversational controls on these things. It was an analam retrofit. So it's, it's all, oh, do a circle, do a pattern. You know, I mean, it's all real mindless sort of stuff. You punch in the tool diameter, it does automatic compensation. You're not looking at G-code at all. So I knew a little bit of G-code from the lathe class, but you know, this circle is exactly like you said, I mean, it was a burnt in old CRT, green CRT that just barely worked and like (laughs) a half a K of memory. And, uh, but the tech, so I call this tech, I'm like, Hey man, I got this machine. I need some help. What are we doing here? And he's like yeah I'll come over and he was while he's over there he's asking me like what my plans were in the space i'm like oh, eventually we're going to get something else i just don't know what it is and i want to get i got this old machine like let me break this thing first before i go and spend money on something new and, uh, and he's like, well, there's this company called Kitamura that makes these really nice Japanese machines. He's like, if, if you like Japanese quality, this is the one to get. And I know where you can get one for half off. I'm like, what are you talking about? What's half off? Like what kind of scam are you pulling on me here? <laughs> and uh, this company had bought one and uh, they they had they bought it for, for a contract with Hewlett Packard. And Hewlett Packard basically decided after six months that they were going to send it overseas. So these guys are stuck with this almost brand new machine and they were just desperate to get out in, from under their payments. So I got this almost brand new 3XI for like half off. And I was just like, oh man, I guess I'm a real machinist now.
0: Oh, geez. uh, That's such a step up too. Goodness gracious. Right?
1: I mean, I (laughs) went from, yeah, from a bridge port with no rigidity to a Herco with no spindle speed to a 10K spindle bridge to Kitamura. And I was just like terrified at the same. And mind you, I'm still completely hand coding all my parts, like literally plugging in tool paths that I've written down from my CAD program, like 2D CAD. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was like the first chain rings. And I just, I I couldn't be bothered to like learn any cam packages. It's just like, ah, that's I'm so good. I don't need to do that. (laughs) And which I mean, you get it. Like you you get the joke there. It's just, it's like, it's ridiculous. Like what I thought I could do on my own without the resources. And I think if
0: anybody listening pretends that they weren't that cocky, that young they're kidding themselves. So,
1: I, <laughs> it, it's, uh, but it's like when you, it's, it's nice when you get to the, with, to an age where you're like fully aware of like how ridiculous it is. You know what I mean? Like people are like, oh yeah, I was a little fool of myself. And I look at myself, I'm like, man, I would have punched myself in the mouth if I had the chance just uh-huh. to like, <laughs> but, but it was like, like it took me so long to do every single part because literally I'm coding every single thing by hand, and uh, it's just it was it was. For when I look back, on, it's like, oh, that was an ugly time in my life too. And it's like, like I said, I was cocky. I just I I didn't understand. Like I always felt like an outsider in the industry. You know what I mean? It's kind of like I didn't really like grow up around any of the stuff. Like all these guys in Marin, they all knew each other. There was like the old crew in Marin that knew each other, and then there's all the young kids that were coming up that knew each other. And I always felt like an outsider, but I realized that was all just, it was just in my head and it's mostly because I, I was othering people. So, so I really worked hard to like show how much better than I was. I didn't realize how big the bike industry was too. At that point, it was like the internet didn't really, it was still, it was getting together, but you couldn't sell to people anywhere in the world as easily as you can now, you know what I mean? It's like, there's so much room in this industry for people to have their own flavor, their own variety. And I just, I didn't see that yet. You know what I mean? So I felt like I was in direct competition with every other frame builder that I crossed paths with. And it was like, it was a real, it wasn't healthy. It was pretty toxic.
0: Right. So do you think at that age, if somebody had come to you, like you came to the first frame building shop, that
1: you would have treated them the same way? Oh, that's a good question. I, it's funny how things come 360 like that. And I, I just, I don't know. I, we had a lot of kids come work for us. Like we had a lot of turnover in the shop. And some of that was thanks to me and being a micromanager and kind of a pain in the ass. But you know, people like come, they want to learn it and they want to move on. And I, I, just, I don't think I would have, I actually, reflecting back. I think I, I think if somebody said, teach me what you do so I can do it, I would have been like, Hey man, that's not going to happen. I don't think, I think if somebody said, Hey, I just want to come and like work for you for the summer, I'd be more than happy to, cause actually that did happen several times. So.
0: Well, that's good then. Yeah. I mean, yeah. regardless of looking back, if you feel like you're cocky, at least you had grown from what you considered, bad behavior or whatever.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I had uh, maybe on that level, but you know, I was, I, I was going through a lot of personal stuff. I getting high every day. And I mean, I, I hope I'm not oversharing for li- your listeners, but it's like, you know, I just, I was also a functioning alcoholic and just trying to manage people and design stuff. And it just, it was, it was too many balls in the air and uh, yeah, it went downhill real fast after like the worst thing you can do is get everything that you dreamed of. Like for somebody like me, you know what I mean? It's like, all of a sudden I had, the bikes were winning races. They were, the bikes were getting on top 10 lists. It was everything that I wanted I had. And I didn't know what the hell to do with it. I didn't know that I could just be happy with that and keep going. Oh, okay. And it was just like, I always needed that more. Just that there was a hole that needed to be fed, that there was just never enough to feed it. And that was a, that was a huge problem for me. And then, like I said, that's like basically my personal life was where everything was really fallen apart. And of course that carried over to the shop and. Yeah, I just, I got to the point, I hate to say it, but you know, I was taking people's money and not shipping them parts. Like knowing full well, I wasn't going to ship them parts. I was taking deposits and it was bad. I mean, I really wasn't operating it with integrity. I mean, I was, I was straight scumbagging it. I mean, let's, give <laughs> let's call a spade a spade. So right. yeah. Yeah. So I, I just, it got to the point where my life was. My personal life was so bad. I'd alienated pretty much everybody around me. Jericho was just a shambling corpse of a, of a company. And I just shut the doors and I came down to LA to start my life over. I just, I figured, okay, I've burnt all those bridges. This is something I loved, but apparently it didn't love me back. And it was, of course, it was the industry's fault, not mine at that point in time. That's what I thought. Right. And the funny thing is my first job in LA, I uh, I got a job at a performance bikes on the corner of fifth and Broadway selling beach cruisers. (laughs) <laughs> which talk about humbling. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah.
0: That's tough. But it was
1: good. I, I don't, sobriety is part of my story. I was really, things were really bad. And that's just like, okay, people are telling me to be humble, get a job that doesn't mean anything to you, but you can show up for. And so of course for me, like beach cruisers didn't mean anything to me. <laughs> and the funny thing is I'm not a, yeah, I'm not a great salesperson. That's just, I've come to accept that about myself, but I'm sitting there and I'm trying to sell these $300 beach cruisers. And, and it's funny because it's like, you know, these people don't know who I, nobody knew. It. Nobody knew who I was. I mean, the guy who gave me the job knew who I was and he's like, oh my God, I can't believe Josh Ogles in my store selling beach cruisers. Cause he actually had one of my bikes. Like, it's kind of funny, like the oh, wow. know, other side of the coin. Oh yeah, no, this guy Raymond, he was really cool. And yeah, it was just, it was humbling and it just, it put me in my right place. You know what I mean? It was just like, okay, something, those days are gone and now I'm just, this guy and me figure out what I'm going to do. And, and the funny thing is I've always, I'd always loved photography and my mom had a hat company and she's like, Hey, honey, can you take some pictures of my hats? I need them just for like my website. And so I take these pictures and the woman that she was working with as a publicist is like, these are really, really good. Do you want to do this more? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, we'll pay you to take pictures of products. And I was just like, Yes, please i I was really excited about that and uh, it was such a weird thing though you know what i mean it was just this weird well if you don't think everything in life is being in the right place the right time and having connections i that, that is just a big part of it at least in my story and so all of a sudden i've gone from frame building to selling beach cruisers to now i'm doing commercial photography of jewelry and like these crazy expensive shoes and it was just like wow and i got a paycheck and i'm like actually doing a decent job supporting myself and the funny thing is, like I was like, okay, bike industry, bikes are behind me. That's not a thing anymore. I'm gonna get into cars. Like I'm gonna buy a fancy car and start, you know, driving around and being that guy. I live in LA. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play the role. So I get this uh, bought a, a small, like at the, the C class, C, the AMG. Oh, okay. And a cool little car. But I just, again, I just, it was. Never enough. Like I met up with some, that's funny. Is that somebody revving up in the back there? Yeah, literally is somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny you like, hearing that just like, wow, apparently how this story is supposed to go, but I started having it tuned up and I started having the car tuned up at this place in Huntington beach. And one day their fabricator basically got in a big fight and like walked out the door and uh, I'm like oh, what do you guys, you guys need somebody to work down here? Like, I used to be a metal worker. And they're like, what are you kidding me? Like, who are you? Like, oh yeah, I used to build these bicycles. It's I was pretty good at it. Like, you need somebody who can weld, I'm your guy. And uh, they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. So I was a little bit butthurt by that. And I was like, okay, I'll, you know, figure something out. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know something? I'm going to do this. So the next day I got on my bike and I rode my bike down from LA to Huntington Beach. And I'm like, look, man, I welded this together myself. You guys don't think I can do this. I can do this. When I showed them some of the stuff I did, they're like, huh, all right, well, we're kind of hard up, so let us think about it. I'm like, so I gave them, I dropped off my resume and uh, they call me back a couple of days later, they're like, tell you what, we'll give you a trial. We got this project that we are very much in the red on, you know, we'll hire you on a trial basis and when can you start tomorrow? Basically they were that, <laughs> they were that kind of in the red on it. I'm like, yes, sir. I can. No. Oh, wow. Uh- and uh, yeah, so I, I literally hopped in the car and I drove down there the next morning and I started working on these crazy roll cages for a convertible BMW M3. And uh, it was, you know, this was a shop. The shop was called Evo Sport. Really cool shop. They were, at the time, they were pretty well regarded. It sounds familiar. And uh, yeah, no, they were, we did a lot of stuff. They did a lot of like AMG was their thing. And they also did some Porsche tuning, a little bit of Ferrari stuff. But it was, I mean, legit building race cars. And uh, yeah, so we got to order all kinds of like racing exhausts. I we used my car as a development car for some of the AMG stuff, which I was more than happy to like, yeah, bring my car in and take it apart for a couple of days, I'm in. Right, of course. And (laughs) uh, I was super excited about all that. And plus I got discounts on stuff. I was like, I'm like, I felt like I was a part of something again. And I was really excited about that because I figure, and now at this point, I'm sober, so I'm not trying to like, I have, I have some sense of my place in the scheme of things. Like, like I have some humility and I'm just trying to be, and emphasize the trying parts, it didn't always come out like that, but I'm just trying to be like, hey, this is just my thing. And it was, of course the car, working on that car got totally out of control. And that's just, that's another story. But anyway, so I ended up, I go through three different shops. So like the first place I was literally the low guy on the totem pole. I'm the one who showed up in the morning, turned on the lights, swept up the floors, got all the machines running, all manual machines. We had all the manual fab shop stuff and no CNC, but all the manual machines. And uh, I'm the last guy to leave at night after cleaning everything up. And it was a great, it was a great like introduction to that world. (laughs) I I made some mistakes along the way and my ego got ahead of me a couple of times, but it was like, fortunately I had people around me that could like put me in my place without making me feel bad. And, uh, and just over the next few years, I worked at a shop in Van Nuys and we were doing like, they had a CNC machine. And so like, I was like, Hey, let me start making some parts for you guys. Like, let's like, yeah, yeah we got our parts designed, but you can run the machine. I'm like, Hey, that's good enough. That gets my hands back in it. And it was cool you know, building, uh, building racing exhausts and building the supercharger kits and then I ended up at a spot and called Technocraft and Password JDM. And it's cool. Cause like they had. The jdm stuff so i'm working on 50 dollars blow-off valves for hondas and then i'm also doing ten thousand dollar exhaust for bentleys it was a really like weird dichotomy <laughs> like I'm not knowing exactly when to be working on any particular day and and it was really cool and uh, i was doing that for a while and so i still had my kitamora though here's the thing so the kitamora is in storage in the bay area yeah so it's just it's sitting there and it's just in storage and i'm paying a few hundred bucks a month for it and uh, one of the friends a friend of a friend is like hey man i hear you've got this machine in storage like let me use it and I will pay for the rent for the shop and you can come use it too. But like, that shouldn't just be sitting there. That's a wasted resource. I'm like, Hey, you know something? You're right. But if you think it's just a matter of turning it on and pulling parts out, you are sorely mistaken. <laughs> and he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, look, man, I'm more than happy to let you run this thing, but just know that it's not a, you need to have a design, you need to have a programmer, you need to do fixturing. Like I, I laid it all out for him and he just looked at me and kind of scoffed and was like, I can do that. I'm like, wow. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) we drive up there, we load all the stuff up. It gets me out from under that, the storage payment. And and, then he moves it into this place in Wilmington called Church Automotive Testing, which is a really cool guy, a really cool shop. They did, basically they were Honda tuners and they had these dynos. So I'm still working other side of town. And, uh, but I go over there every so often and I was just amazed by the stuff that they were doing. And, uh, but you know, my machine was basically in a corner. I was like, they were using it as like a base to like pull wires straight. And when he wasn't there, I'm like, ah, not super happy about this, but uh, whatever. I said he could use it and that, that fine, whatever. So my boss at Technocraft had been there for a good couple of years at this point, And he's like, I think it's time you go out on your own. I'm like, oh, holy shit, am I getting fired? Like <laughs> I was just like, oh my God. Like I was terrified. He's like, no, I think you've done what you can here. You know what I mean? Like, I think like you got your machine over there in Wilmington, like you're designing more stuff than I want to make. And you're doing good work, but I think it's you're gonna you're better suited by being by by being freelance. And I was like, oh. I mean, yeah, we were friends, you know what I mean. I, I really don't think he was bullshitting me. And so I was like, wow, okay, I'm gonna do this. So I started making parts again. I kind of tried to figure it out, like I was doing, like there's there were some slow months, and then a friend of mine was in the fitness industry. He's like, hey, can you do these buckles for us? So I designed some buckles, and it just kind of things started to happen. And and I was there for a couple months, and my old bosses at Evosport called me. And they're like, hey, we hear you're making parts again. Like, do you want to come and do some design stuff for us? And I was like, oh, you guys really didn't treat me that well last time I was there. Like, you made it clear to me that I was the bottom guy in the totem pole. Like, I don't really have any interest in that. And they're like, well, if you come back, you can pretty much do what you want. Like, you just come in, we'll give you a project and you do it and you send us a bill. And I was like, wow, I could definitely do that yeah seriously it was like i mean it's really cool like the whole like the tour through the industry came full circle so i'm back at evo sport and uh, and the funny thing is like i was kind of the boss of this guy who always used to torture me while i was there who just constantly used to shit on me and i was just like oh i could be so mean to this guy but like i just it was like every day i went in there it was just like okay just stay in your corner ogle just don't even don't mess with them so and in a course of like a year of being like a freelance contractor for these guys we did a top mount supercharger kit we did all the stuff we did so many projects and uh, and unfortunately like i didn't know this but they were already cratering out they had the auto industry is so weird like it's just shops go go under and pop up and it's just to have a shop that has real staying power is pretty rare and uh, this is a shop that had a great name at one point but they stopped paying their bills and uh, they just they made a wrong turn and all of a sudden i'm like okay, well, that, none of that's happening. What am I going to do? And I, I've been fascinated with watches. So I kind of kept doing like the small job shop type stuff for auto industry stuff. And I started to kind of teach myself how to make watches. <laughs> and that's well, what saying. Saying, I mean, I, to be fair, again, it's like I didn't teach myself teach myself, but like I kind of got the basics of it. And then I was like, all right. Well, I had a watch on my wrist that ticked which isn't saying much, but I went to Switzerland and uh, I signed up for watchmaking course in Switzerland, because I figure if you're going to learn how to make watches, that's the place to do it. And, and again, it, so after what I learned at UBI, where it's kind of like, oh, you can show up and not know anything. I go to this course listed as the beginner's course is the you know, the Mecca basic, like basic was in the name of it. So I'm thinking like, oh yeah, cool. Perfect for me. I show up and these guys they're going around the room, it's like this international class, like people from all over the world. I'm like, wow, this is really, this is intense. And uh, they're listing off like this one dude has seven years. This, you know, like everybody has at least four or five years of experience in the industry up to like 17 or 18 years. And he comes to me last, I'm like, what the hell do I do here? And he's like, so <laughs> Mr. Ogle, would you tell us about your experience? I'm like, well, I made this case for the one that's on my wrist and I work on cars and I used to make bicycle parts. <laughs> he looks at me and he like had to like stifle a laugh like he's this stern german guy oh no and uh, and he's like and you think this is the class for you i'm like well it said basic and he's like no 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 that is not how this works and i was like oh my god i just flew to switzerland and i'm gonna get kicked out of this class you, you gotta be kidding me and uh, i'm like hey tell you what like I, I brain goes in overdrive i'm like look man let me at least try and if I can't keep up, you can kick me out. No harm, no foul, but at least let me try. Like I'm really good at what I do. And and he kind of looks at me, he's like, Huh, okay, we can do that. I was like, oh, huh, okay, cool. And so like I literally talked my way into this class. I'm mean, knowing nothing about it. And he's like, and he's like, okay, he's like, here's the ground rules. Then if you slow us down, you're gonna get kicked out. If you don't obey my orders. You're going to get kicked out because he's yeah. German. So everything's in order. right? And I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm shrinking in my chair. I'm like, oh boy, I don't know what the hell's going on here. And at the end of the first day, he's like, okay, we're we're, we're a little behind schedule because of Mr. Ogle, but you know, we're doing okay. And I was just like, oh, goodness, yes. all right, cool. And, and this was how long? It was it's, a, it's like a five-day seminar. And it was basically okay. how, to, how to work on their basic movements. Is this company ETA that's kind of like the big movement supplier for the watch at least they used to be right and and uh, so at the end of the third day he's screaming at this guy from finland because the guy from finland literally goes into his desk and took something out took something out of the supply case without asking and, I'm, and he's screaming and i'm like how oh, you've been doing this for 15 years in this site trip and i'm like sitting there on the other side of the room like watching this go down and i'm thinking like okay don't don't cry <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't cry and the guy that was next to me is like doing good just keep just keep doing what you're doing you know
0: and oh my like, goodness okay and
1: and the funniest moment is so i'm sitting here and i'm reaching over like i have the movement on the table in front of me and i'm like reaching around to the back side of the movement i'm in this completely awkward position and the instructor walks over and he's like mr oak can you stop for a second and i'm like oh no this is it that's where i get kicked out and he takes the movement and he goes this is not an engine block and he picks it up and he spins it around 90 degrees he's like you can work on the part right in front of you and I just, everybody busted out laughing. It was just kind of like, I'm super embarrassed. But at the same time, it was like, oh yeah, that's right. But it's like, you do something for so long, you get in this habit of like reaching over, reaching around. It's just like, oh, it's just this tiny little thing. Right,
0: just flip it over yeah, and start exactly. from the bottom. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, yeah it's, I was just like, oh wow, okay, cool. Thanks, man. Glad you made a point of showing that to everybody. Oh. And, but it was fun. I had a great time. You know what I mean? Like after that first day and after he yelled at the other dude, I was just like, oh, wow, this is incredible. And at the end of the time, he's like, Hey man, you got your certificate. Congratulations. Like you're going to want to do a lot more of this before you, before you try and do this again, like sneak in any of these classes again. He's like, you're going to want to do some work. I'm like, Hey, I didn't sneak in. I just wasn't totally honest about my credentials, but okay. And it was really cool, but it was, it was incredible. And so I was sure I was going to be a watchmaker. I was just kind of like, oh, this is going to be the next big thing. That's going to be great. And so I started tinkering with the watches and I'm doing, like I said, I'm doing automotive stuff on the side and I was doing like little repair stuff. And it was just, it was slowly starting to come together. And uh, the really cool thing is it's like, so I had the, so I got the Kitamura back at this point. I'm in a shop in em- in Inglewood um, now. And uh, Kitamura is 20 years old, 15 years old and sat for a long time. It got run by people that didn't really give a shit about it. Cause they had no financial investment in it for a while when my buddy had brought it down and that stuff started to go wrong. It was kind of a neglected machine, which is a real shame. So it was Kitamori Right. It was a and 2000, you said? It was a 99. So it was like one of the first years with the FANUC 16i with the full okay. color display and it was like the first, year, like it was one of the first years that they did the full shrouding. So they used to have that weird, like assembly shrouding. Oh, like oh believe
0: first. me. I know I, yeah, I have okay, gotten yeah. showered numerous times by <laughs> So we had talked through DMs. The first shop I worked in had, like I said, I think it was 10 10 or more Kitamura's from 83 to 2000. And their newest one was a 2000 uh, 3XI. So probably the same exact machine.
1: Exactly, yeah. Just the beautiful, like, oh, just the shining white box. Just, yeah. And uh, but you know it was getting old. It had it was how it is. The things they consume air like it's going out of style. They got the box ways. They got the everything is on an air bearing, and it's just constantly like oh, there's always something like you know, the compressors running nonstop, and it's just kind of like oh it's killing me. And yeah, um, you are
0: but, listing all of the reasons that we bought a <laughs> bought a new machine and got rid of our <laughs> kinemera.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like it's a great machine. It cuts like a champ. You can throw a three quarter inch end mill just full depth into a part, and the thing's just like yeah, give me more. Mm-hmm. But you know, and at the same time, it just had all this other stuff that was going on. It was super reliable. Like I never had a problem with it until I started having all the problems with it.
0: Right. Yeah. When you're, <laughs> there's always that like n- niggle at the back of your head where you're like, man, if the spindle goes out, that's like,
1: 20 grand. This is not going to be good. Actually, I can tell you for a fact, it was 13500
0: <laughs> Oh, well, there you go. Okay.
1: <laughs> I, so we didn't have an air dryer. Uh, the entire time it was set up in, in Wilmington at the automotive place, which is right by it was literally five blocks off the water in Long Beach. So very humid air and old ass compressor. And I they, they didn't hook up the line dryer that I gave. I didn't even realize this. It was just sitting there next to the machine. And I assumed it was hooked up.
0: no! so i'm pumping
1: wet air through that spindle for months and finally the bearing seized it shot sparks it just did all the bad things i was just (laughs) like oh no and uh, got the spindle replaced and then it was the limit switch on the y-axis and it just got to that point where like all of a sudden it was like cascading stuff and uh, and i'm starting to make the watches and i'm like god it's ten thousand spindles really limiting me because i'm trying to drill these tiny little holes and i just can't get enough surface speed and and the finish wasn't, it was good, but it wasn't great. And uh, the people at the shop are like, oh, well, we have some cool new machines that are actually pretty small. And if you don't want to invest in something large. And that's when I found out about the HX250. And I was just like, oh, this is like a watchmaking machine. And yeah, it's incredible. Like all of a sudden it's like it's a machine that has like submicron positioning and a fourth axis and a 30K spindle. And like, oh, wow, this is badass. And it was cool. Like the shop, they found a buyer for the old machine. They gave me an incredible deal on the machine. And yeah, it was, so I went from 20 year jump when machining, like the machines from 2000 were good, but this thing's like all the crazy high tech stuff. No more air spindle, no more air bearings. I mean, it's a little bum because it has the, the 250 as the, the linear guy. It's not the box way. So it's not the most rigid machine, mm-hmm. but for a 30K spindle, you can't really push that big a mill. You know I mean? Right. You can't really, they're just, it doesn't have the torque to do that. So it's like, Hey, you know something? I'm going to do what I can with this thing.
0: So before and, we jump into the, oh, yeah. the camera deep, I, I want to yeah. real quick, Josh Hacko from the Patreon asked, he, you've yes. already kind of gone through your watchmaker journey, but he said, yeah, where have you got to? What are your plans with it, and what are the f- what what does the future hold in that space? You made it through what ten yeah. founders edition
1: watches or something? Like- I did I did eight of the founders editions and a couple others that were just kind of random weird sort of watches. I made twelve total from scratch, buying Swiss movements and actually I did I, I I've designed my own movement and I've made replacement plates like all the not the base plate but all the bridge plates mm-hmm. and I was planning so basically I made my own hands uh, dials. Pretty much everything except for the movement. And um, I, that was kind of the next challenge I was going to undertake. But I, I I fortunately, from all the mistakes I'd made, like I had enough humility to know that this is going to take me a while to get right. And I was just going to try to start with a real basic, a real basic manual wind modeled on the ETA, the 649798 series, which is sort of like a very basic, used to be made in pocket watches, but it's like one of the most robust, durable movements you can get. And I was just like, cool, I'm just going to model mine off of that, which I think a lot of people do. I think Josh from Hecto is, I think theirs is somewhat based along that as well, but a very, very, very nice work. Like they're oh my God, their Kern does such incredible work. But yeah, so I basically got to the point where I had my own movement designed and I just, the fact is parts were getting harder to make and I just, I felt like every step forward was two steps back and I, I just kind of like, I, I sort of didn't have that spark anymore, if that makes sense. I mean, like I was, I was more excited by the challenge of it than the actual business of it.
0: I can totally empathize. I have that if anybody knows me or like at, talks to my business partner, I have gone yeah. through many ups and downs and, and falling in love with certain ideas. And then I'm like, all right, well, I've gotten as far as I want to right now. And then I'm on the next yeah. thing. So I, I totally understand i will yeah. say though i love your watch like it's very thank you so much bell and
1: ross-esque that, that that was a big inspiration on it i just i love that industrial sort of not like people say uh steampunk but i think the steampunk is like a de- it's it's the retro modern so it's got some modern touches some retro touches it's just it's kind of that balance is what i really like it's just but thank you i really i had a lot of fun with that and i learned like like here's the th- what i loved about the watch making is it really it took my machining to a whole nother level like learning how to micro machine It's a whole different thing. And it just, I like, I've, I got to like explore how to do surface finishes, like how, like, okay, this is a normally finish that would be done manually. Let me see if I can do it in the mill. And so I got to do some like, really, like I got to be really creative with that. But at the end of the day, it's like, I sold these watches for five grand each. And I was, I'm, I'm not even kidding you. I think I made $3 an hour on them. I mean, it's just so much time went into them. And just my perfectionism, you just, it, it, there's, I couldn't satisfy it for a price that I was comfortable charging. Like I was scared to charge what I had to, to do them the way I wanted to. And that was really where, that was where my failure was, is that like, I, 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 I wanted to sell $5,000 watches, but I wanted to build $30,000 watches.
0: Right. Yeah. No, after talking to Josh Hacko a bunch, like I yeah. totally understand, like just, or just, you know, even looking at his Instagram or anything like the. Yeah amount of care and time that goes into them
1: it's It's, insane it's a bottomless pit I mean you really there is no limit to what people will I mean yeah I mean there's a reason there's people that I mean it it sounds crazy to say like a $200,000 watch is worth it but they literally spend tens of thousands of hours on one watch to get them there I mean it's it's insane and it's wonderful but is it at the end of the day it wasn't I didn't want to spend that much time on one thing I know it sounds ridiculous but it's just kind of like i love this but i just plus like the supply for the parts i wanted was drying up and i just i just one day a friend of mine who had actually given me a really generous deposit on one of the series ones what i was going to call him he had something come up and he's like hey man can i get my deposit back and it's just like yeah absolutely something this just that was kind of the thing that i needed to to reorient myself like this isn't supposed to happen like this isn't what the universe wants me to do i've been butting my head against the wall trying to make it happen and at some point you just have to look around at the signs and be like yeah this isn't this is what i want but it doesn't want me
0: right and then and were you running ocd concurrently
1: with this or well so i had, i connected with the guys at firefly about a year before this all this went down well actually i guess a couple of years before all this went down and so okay so something i left out so i went on a i, I took a bike tour of cambodia i bought a salsa via this you know totally reasonable touring bike uh, a, a friend and i went over there spent like two and a half weeks riding around cambodia and it just i'd been away from the bike industry for so long that like i just really thought it was in my past especially because all the bridges i had burned and i was just like yeah that's behind me now but i did this tour and it just it relit that fire and it was just kind of like oh yeah this is i forgot how much i love bikes i was just literally like we flew over there and we did we had no idea where we were going like it was just two dudes on bikes in Cambodia. And we knew that we had to be at the temples in a week, like at the hotel by the temples in a week. And it was just open besides that. And it was just that freedom. Like that first time I rode my bike on that trail, it was like, kind of took me back to that freedom. just like, oh my God, I'm just out somewhere in the world on my bike, learning, seeing things again. And uh, that was that reconnection. And that got me into designing parts again, frame parts. So like, yeah, I think I might, I might give this another try. Like. Just for my own edification, you know what I mean? Not to like be a frame builder, but you know, and then I started designing stuff. I'm like, I'm just going to give these designs away. Just if anybody wants them, I'm just going to let them have them. If people want to buy some parts, cool, I can do that too. But I just didn't want to have that attachment that I had to it, the toxic attachment that I had to it the first time. And so there's like a bunch of frame builder groups on Facebook and that was when I was still on Facebook and I've been friends with Tyler from Firefly for... 20 something years. Like we met at Interbike when we were both kids and uh, we just connected. We're just like, oh, you're cool. You're cool. Yeah, let's drink some beers. (laughs) And uh, we always talked about eventually doing something together. And uh, honestly, I'm super glad that that didn't happen back in the day because I would, I'm sure I would have burnt that relationship down. But uh, Jamie reached out, Uh, his business partner, Jamie, reached out and was like, hey, man, we're we're a little behind on some parts. Are you interested in making some stuff for us? So it's like, our designs, you just need, we just need to shop for for some stuff. We're a little bit on deadline. And I was like, oh man, I, I would love to like, I, I I'm honored. That would be incredible. And uh, so, so I made them some dropouts that they needed and Jamie was like, Hey, so I see some of the stuff you've been designing and the stuff you're doing online. Like you want to, we, we kind of were thinking, well, maybe we'll do a seat collar. And I was just like, oh, that sounds really cool. I have some ideas, you know? And uh, so we work on the design for a little while and uh, I finally get them something and it was just, it was like gangbusters, like, oh yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, this is really awesome. And the response to it was incredible. And they've given me so much more recognition than I deserve for it. I mean, it was, it's, I really, I love. it. I love what I designed for them. And then it just kind of kept going. I was just like, oh, let's do some STEM parts. Hey, let's, let's do some head two parts. And it just, it's been a real pleasure working with them. I mean, they've been really like supportive and patient. And, and the funny thing is, I'm like, hey, you guys want to do this? And they're like, no, nah, we're not into bash guards or like, I just, I, cause for me, like so much of the fun is just designing stuff. Like, let me create a part that's really cool that solves these problems, but looks really good doing it. And so I was building up this catalog of designs while I was working for them and while the bike stuff was kind of cratering out, sorry, while the watch stuff was cratering out. And, and then one day they're just like, yeah, you should, I think it's probably time. You know, If you're not going to do the watches, it's time to start making bike parts. And I was just like, yeah, okay. And then and, and they're like, and we even have a name for your company. I'm like, or excuse me? I'm like, yeah, OCD. And I'm like... Huh? Overall oh, component design. I was like, oh my god, that's brilliant because it's actually one of the. I I I don't have it as bad as a lot of people do, but that was one of the things that in my using career, like when I was getting high, um, that was one of the things that just I I I count things obsessively, like when I get high, like it was like it was a thing I could just like literally just organize and count things over and over and over again, and it was just I, I couldn't stop. And, and so now like a, a bit of a tongue in cheek reference to that with the, with the design stuff, because I do really obsess over the details, but fortunately I've managed to not have to deal with that on, on that same level. But
0: no, that's it's a great full circle, like way yeah. to, to really take ownership of it.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's what I thought, you know, like some people didn't understand it at first, they thought I was just making fun of it, but it's like, look, it's a gnarly disease and I get that. And maybe if I can show that it doesn't have to have that stigma and at least in my life, then that's a good thing. So that was a big part of it too.
0: Definitely. Definitely. So that actually and- does finally bring us to what is your company and what do you do now?
1: Yeah. All right. That was a really long backstory. I'm sorry. We've been doing this for a while now. It's like a day or two.
0: No, I have re- really appreciated you <laughs> diving in and really going into the nitty gritty because it's it's cool. To, you have done quite a bit more in, in many areas of manufacturing than a lot. So it's cool I, to hear. I've
1: really, I've been really lucky to get to like taste a lot of the different flavors of that rainbow. I mean, I've done steel work. I, I mean, I've done construction, like construction welding, like, like uh, architectural steel. And it's just, like being back in bikes is, it's, it's pretty great. But yeah, so, so yeah, so I've been working for Firefly Bicycles doing their mill work for the last few years and some of their design stuff and uh, the design stuff, it's, it's very collaborative. You know what I mean? They give me a lot of credit, but you know, everything it's, it's, a, it's, it's a discussion, it's a dialogue. And uh, so I'm super grateful for that. They actually, Jamie one day called me Firefly West and I just about cried. I was so like, oh my God, this is real. Oh, and, cool. Yeah. And then uh, I realized I had enough stuff of my own that was kind of complimentary to their stuff, You know, not to compete with them, but, you know, to go in addition to that. And yeah, it's, I, I this year I decided I was going to really go for it. Like I said, my friend Chris did, I asked for his money back and I was just like, oh, that's painful. But, you know, I have the equipment. I, fortunately, I have a fairly small shop that doesn't cost a lot because it's, on my property and it was, I could absorb it at the time. And uh, yeah, and I had some cool stuff and it, it's like the design floodgates have really like opened back up. But I realized like when I was building the bikes, it was always the details I liked more than the actual welding and assembly and dealing with customers. Part of it, <laughs> and I feel bad saying that because customers are always going to be customers, but it's just, you know, with the frame, there's so many different things and if, if Kevin from Firefly is listening to this, I, I I'm apologizing to you one more time for the hell I put you through with both of my bikes. Oh my God. I was so indecisive. I changed so many things so many times and I should know better. Like I should absolutely know better, but I just, I couldn't help myself. I was so excited for like one of those bikes. So, but yeah, so I got a few products. I'm trying to keep a fairly small. I want to, I love the design end of it and I'll always make way more stuff. I'll always design way more stuff than I can possibly make. And, uh, so like this year has been really finding out like what I can make, what I can make well, and what I think I can sell well. So it's been a, it's been a really exciting year.
0: That's amazing. So speaking of cool machinery, what comprises your shop?
1: Yeah, my shop is, it's pretty straightforward. It's a wonderful little workshop. I have, I still have that original bridge port. So I pulled off all the retrofit garbage, a company down here, whose name escapes me at the moment. Oh, I feel so terrible. They're such nice guys. I'll think it Loomis machinery, Loomis machinery. They refurbished it for me. It's basically back to stock. It's glorious. I love this thing. I have a Hardinge replica from uh, a an HLVH replica, which also an incredible machine. And, uh, but the star of the show is is the Kitamura. I have a MyCenter HX250 IG, and that's a uh, four axis horizontal with with a two station pallet changer.
0: So and that brings up basically 60% yeah. of the questions. <laughs> so let's see. <laughs> yeah. Easton from Moria Manufacturing, Thomas Hosford, let's see. Crash Thorn, Jeffrey Ludwig, Cobra Frame Building. Yeah, I saw that. They yeah. all asked about it. So, Give me the rundown. I mean, is, you kind of already said why you chose Kitamura, but yeah. why a horizontal, why not a different twin-palette machine? W- was having twin pallets an important part? Why not a five-axis? All, all, all the good stuff or all the bad yeah. stuff, whatever um, you got.
1: Well, at the time, they didn't have... Well, so I knew I was going to be moving out of the shop that I was in. Like, I had this idea of this workshop in my head for a while, and this is actually... Like, I, I didn't want a big machine because I, I I wanted something that was going to be... Somewhat easy to work with, and I just knew that like the parts I was going to be making aren't going to be that big. I don't need a full, a full size, full number three size machine. And this was the one that had the spindle speed. Like I, like I bought this with the intent to make watches, which I, 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 I was sad about when it didn't happen, but. At the same time, it's for the for the bike parts. It actually, it, 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 anyways, I bought it because it's super precise. It's like micron positioning, sub micron positioning. It's got a thirty thousand RPM spindle, which is great for engraving for everything. Just for having access to that, especially with smaller tools and aluminum like the chainrings use, Being able to spin those guys at thirty thousand RPM. It's just it's great removal rates. I didn't has, even
0: realize it was a that there was a HSK option until I was talking yeah. to somebody recently about that. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's what attracted me to it, and that was the only one. This was the smallest machine that had the 30k spindle and also had the fourth axis because I knew like I wanted to get into more creative stuff and like when I was looking at the machines, it's like okay, I want to stick with kitamore because it's a brand I know. I know the controller. I just the guys at the at the place that sells them are cool and it's there weren't a lot of machines, multi-axis machines in this size at the time. But there actually more of them have come out in the last couple of years. Like the Med Center is like what I would have gotten. Like had I had I been given this opportunity now, I think I would have gotten the Med Center. Which is a smaller five axis kinemora?
0: Yeah, that but, thing is wicked cool.
1: Oh, it's bananas. It is such a sick machine. But it actually holds less tools and you actually have a much you have a much smaller work envelope because it is a smaller five axis. Your usable envelope is like a six inch cube, which this one is this one has a full foot cube envelope of which you know how it is. And the cool thing is I leave so with it with with the, the pallet changer, that was the least interesting thing to me about it. Like I was asking them, I was like, is there a way to get it without that? Because I don't need that. Like that's not a thing for <laughs> me. Like I'm not doing long production runs. But what I realized is that I can put a fifth axis on one of the pallets and I can actually, so I can actually have a fourth at four axis machine with good travels on one pallet station and a five axis machine on the other pallet station. And so it's an eventual plan, but like for right now, I use one pallet station has my four sided tombstone that I use for all the titanium and most of the smaller aluminum parts. And then I, now that I'm getting back into chain rings, the other pallet station has my chain ring fixture on it. So it's great because just in terms of setup time, I, it, it, I, I don't have that anymore. Like it's incredible, like I have like the, so I use a, my um, foresight tombstone it actually has a quick change JAWS on it. And I just basically bought JAWS for all the different jobs that I regularly run. So like, this is great for the Firefly stuff because I can transition from one job to the next in literally five minutes. I have pretty common tooling across all of them. It's a 50 tool carousel. And so it's like, I constantly have everything ready. So when they place an order, I just pretty much, I mean, they'll debate this because how long my delivery time is, but (laughs) I can pretty much jump right into it. You know what I mean? Like I don't have a whole lot of setup time and especially with probing, like it's got the, it's, it's got a Renishaw probe on it and it's just, I wrote that in all the programs. So I basically put on the option, basically have that. So the first time I load up a part, it basically probes everything and then just keep, and then it runs it out from there. So it's really like, it's really efficient to go from like as a way to have like a bunch of different jobs running without much delay. So I can go from making my own stuff to Firefly stuff in the same day. Like I can go, I can make chain rings and then I can go make steer clamps and literally just calling up a different program.
0: That's fantastic. It, you have the really Pearson
1: is. vice on your- I do, yeah, the, the roto vise, which is an absolute fantastic piece of equipment. Yeah, so they actually recently changed their design a little bit and uh, the jaws locate a little better now. So now I just, I literally bought 10 sets of the jaw carriers. And so now I just, you know, I swap out the jaw carriers, which takes just a couple of minutes. I mean, it's three screws and I have my next fixture loaded and bing, bong, bang, probe it and I'm good to go. And it's, uh, it really is, I mean, the efficiency and the flexibility that it gives me is incredible. Like it really, I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. It's like all the different, the little stuff that this machine makes fluid like that, having 52 tools in there.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. So talk to me about the controller, because like that's. Been kind of the sticking point for me on going to a new Kit- Kitamura. Cause like I loved uh, my Kitamura for Proteum was a, a Yasnak, which was great. Yeah. And then all the Kitamuras I worked on at my first job were all
1: Fanic, which was great yeah. as well. But the new Kitamura backwards control, it. it, it they, and by the way, they think that is like the most mind blowing thing about it. They're like, it's Kitamura spelled backwards. So I'm like, wow, that's really your sales pitch? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to tell me about the actual controller?
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so how do you like it? And, and so I I guess my biggest question is I've heard some quality issues with the newer cameras. That's my biggest fear of them. And that's like everyone I've talked to that has gotten a, what was it? 3XD. They Uh have gone through numerous spindles or they've had bugs in the control that that kind of stuff scares me away from them when I used to love them so much. So I I guess what issues have you had?
1: Does the XD have the mini control? Like they have the full, they have two different ones. So they have like the full panel and then they have like the mini panel. Like the med center has like the mini panel controller and mine has like the full panel controller. I don't know if there's different electronics inside, but I've had no issues with mine pretty much at all. I mean, I, 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 my palette changer is a little, has been glitchy. Like if I don't, if I, if I, if I don't cycle it every few days, it gets, it stalls and I basically have to manually rotate it into position. Okay, But that's literally the only thing that I I can think of that I've had to deal with this machine other than I I managed to bump the spindle into a workpiece at 30,000 RPM.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that that was Um, the other question I had was uh, how uh, how and how much and, and all of that.
1: So I had the machine for about three months. I was working on watch crowns and uh, I had switched to using HSM works uh, a few years before, like I learned SolidWorks when I moved to Southern California. And uh, I just, I love that. If the fact that I can have one package where I can literally go from design to code without sw- swapping software. And, uh, but that led me to some, th- this new style of machining led me to some bad. So we say programmer hygiene and so i had just posted out the second half of a program instead of going to the line number like i had changed something for the thing, and i posted out the second half of the program and so i i got i wasn't paying attention i hit start i finished the one of them that the, the crown came off it looked perfect i was like oh that's great so i just hit start again not thinking like oh wait it's expecting there to be a quarter inch less material there which may not sound like much but it's 30 or, yeah at thirty thousand. Yeah, at thirty thousand RPM with a uh, the little HSK spindle, it was it got real unhappy. It punched it, it moved it, and it start, all of a sudden it's there's a, it was making a little bit different noise that made me really really sad. And like my my, my stomach sank because the option when you're buying the machine, it's a thirty thousand dollar option. It's just kind of like oh, oh boy, it is. I didn't know it was that much more. Yeah, I mean at least it. I, I think <laughs> I, I think that's what it was. It was it, it was a significant additional cost in the machine though.
0: Yeah. dollar per RPM.
1: uh, (laughs) Yep. Well, no, $2 because the stock one's 15. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. $2 per extra RPM. But the funny thing is, so I called them like, oh, you guys, I screwed up. I punched the spindle into a part. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I just, it was, I did the thing wrong. Like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You did this. This was your mistake. I'm like, yeah, why? What are you talking about? They're like, I don't think anybody's ever owned a spindle issue. In the history of this company, like you're the first person that's ever called us and said you you ground your spindle into a part. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. They're like, yeah, nobody wants to admit that. I'm like, okay, can you come and fix it? Like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. It, It happened. Can we take care of it? So they came over and they inspected it. They're like, look, it sounds a little bit off, but you know, keep running it and we'll see what we can do for you. I'm like, okay. I mean, as long as I have the okay to keep running, they're like, yeah, maybe don't go above 25. If you can avoid it, I'm like, you're giving me 25,000 RPM is like a safe zone? Okay. So they came back to me. They're like, yeah. So we actually called Kitamura and they're like, we just, they were really cool about it. And they gave me everything at cost, which was incredible. Oh, wow. And it was still incredibly, it was actually, it cost less than the upgrade did to get it repaired, but it was still, it was expensive and the machine was down. It was a whole thing. And it was uh new spindle and it just it's I've been very very conscientious about it since then not to say mistakes haven't been made but that was the that was a big one like very like that was sort of that recalibrated me for how you have to treat a, a relatively fragile spindle with that 10,000 rpm spindle it hit apart a part of full rapid sideways it's like okay new mill, no worries you don't even think about it this one it's it, it's not that it's a little scary um, yeah not well, scary but it's just it's something to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, when you get into ceramic bearings and and things like that, everything gets a lot more precise and a lot more delicate, so.
1: Yeah. and But yeah, I mean, the machine has been, I mean, it's, with the HSK-40, you don't have a ton of torque, so like, realistically, like, for hogging, I can't really use anything bigger than a half inch in titanium. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that, for, 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 For bike size parts, that actually does pretty darn well. And it's it's amazing. The like the I mean, a lot of like I I look back at like the first Kitamor and all like hand programming stuff and everything is literally parallel tool paths, everything's you know, step by step over. And now with HSM works, high speed machining has changed everything changed the game in terms of like yeah, it's, uh, I mean, and this machine loves it. it the controller super fast, but to your concerns about it, like I, like I said, I really haven't had, well, every time, but there's, it's a machine. It's got a lot of moving parts between the pallet changer and the fourth axis and all the extra stuff. There's, there's more moving parts. So I get, well, there's weird little noises and stuff like that, that I'm always super alert for now. But in terms of like things going wrong with the machine, it has been, it's been really rock solid for me. I'm really lucky that I haven't had some of the issues. Okay. And uh, But I actually have heard about like the XDs. That seems to be like their budget machine. And I'm amazed that they, so it's a family-owned business. Like Akio Kitamura's thing, whole thing is like, this is my family. This is my name. And that's one of the reasons I really like their company. So it's, I- I've heard that though about the four, uh, sorry, about the XD. And it's well, you know,
0: and interestingly a- enough, they don't, it, well, from their website, they don't have the XD line anymore. It's now XV. So yes. I'm wondering if they went through a, a retooling or something of it.
1: Yeah, I, you got me. I mean, but, but
0: it is a different control. It's the aromatic yeah. junior, not the aromatic MI.
1: Yeah. So that, yeah, that's right. Which, yeah. So the junior is, yeah, I, I can't speak to anything with that other than I've seen it on the, on the Med Center. Mm-hmm. But the MI, you know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a Windows based controller. So it's just an emulation controller. And for what it's worth, I, like I said, mine has been, pretty much flawless. So like any issues that I've had, I, they've been super easy to deal with. And yeah, I, it's been, this machine has been wonderful. I mean, it really is like having a fourth axis for me is it's so great. Cause it's like the parts that I'm making now, it's like, it's given me so much freedom. Like I, for the most part, everything I do is just three plus one. I don't really even do live fourth on anything since most of my designs don't require it. And, but you know, being able to do that 90 degree off axis or 45 degree off axis work has been brilliant. Like it's just what it's opened up for cool, creative little parts that seem much more difficult to make than they really are is that's a big part of it too, is like making people, not making people, but like making parts that people look at and they can't see how it was done. It's not obvious to them. Like that makes me really happy.
0: Definitely. So what about, what about things you don't like about the machine? Cause I, I think the reason we had a lot of interest in this is that, yeah many people, me included, have seen it at trade shows now, and it's yeah. like such a cool, small, horizontal. It's it's totally unlike the packaging you'd normally see with a horizontal, well, both it, cost it, and size, so. Well,
1: it, it, exactly, and that was a big part of it, too, because I'm on a phase converter. I only have single phase coming into my house, and so I'm on a digital phase converter, so it's like, that's one of the things I like about it. It's got a relatively low power draw and like you said it's a, it's a small and uh, but what I don't like about it the, the limitations of the HSK 40 spindle it's like I can't use big fly cutters so facing I have to do in passes with like a three-quarter inch it'd be nice to be able to run a nice big mill across some facing work to get parts down and fast spindles are loud I just I, I get tired of listening to the spindle <laughs> Like I know that sounds like a humble brag but it's just kind of like with that thing going in the background like I, I have noise canceling earbuds sometimes when I'm doing a lot of high speed work and honestly for me the thing it's I maybe I've just got gotten so accustomed to it that I don't notice the quirks anymore but it just every day I turn it on and it just works I'm really I feel super fortunate to have a machine that I don't have to wonder like what's going to go wrong today okay I mean uh, of course now I now I've said that and I've said it looking at the machine so it's going to do something obnoxious to me tomorrow but
0: you're doing a nice oil change or something tomorrow yeah, exactly. You know I'm, I'm, I'm going to top
1: up all the fluids I'm gonna, uh, <laughs> give, her, give her some fresh coolant um I mean, the things I don't like about it, like I said, it's like it does make some weird noises sometimes. They actually did change the palette changer. So now instead of being a pneumatic base, it's fully electric. Yeah, that's what the tech told me. I don't know. I didn't really dig into it any more than that. But I, to me, that would be a big upgrade because it happens very infrequently. But you know, when it does, it's annoying because you got to put everything down. And one thing I wouldn't do is it has a bloom laser, which I hear they're great. But for this one, the way they set it up, it's, it basically doesn't have a, a ton of accuracy because the heads have to be so far apart to clear the work. To clear the work zone so I would get offline tool measurement if I was going to do it again like I wouldn't spend that money but one of the thing is a good like there's some really good offline tool setups and like it, it's I would use it more but again like when the laser's on like I, a lot of times I just I basically have some caps that I put over the head so cool I can't get on them and I just shut off the air supply to it because mm-hmm. it basically uses as much or more air than the machine itself does so my compressor is just constantly going oh geez what? And so it's just kind of like, for me, that's, that's like, okay. So now I I turn it on when I need it, but I, I measure the stuff offline. It's just quicker now. I mean, I just have a height set up and uh, that makes that really easy too. It really does. I mean, basically having that flat surface and knowing that like, this is my bore face, so just zero it and set it at the top and you're done. It's easy. Does it have a through spindle? I didn't get it. I I, I was torn because if you lose a seal with a 30 K spindle, when you're doing through spindle, bad things happen. Oh, yeah. So I went without. I, for me, I just, I don't do, I don't do a whole lot of really deep drilling. And honestly, like the, the one place where it might come in handy is like diving into pockets because I, you know, I have to do a lot of blind pockets to get parts started, like seat post heads and stem parts. But it's, it's, it's the new end mills that they have for that make it such a fast process that it's just, you're in and you're out. And it just doesn't really, yeah, I don't, I don't miss it. Like I said, I, I, maybe a little bit for drilling, but I don't do enough drilling that it, it really is something that affects me. Okay.
0: So speaking of end mills, what tools are your uh, bread and butter for titanium and all those fun stuff?
1: I've been working with a company called Frasa lately. Not working with, but I've been buying tools from <laughs> a company called Fraser. They're, um, I actually found out about them when I was making the watches. One of their old reps found me on Facebook and we got to chatting and they sent me a couple of to check out with. Check out. And I, I fell in love with their stuff. Super good quality tools. They're a little more expensive, but... They're super consistent and they're ground really nice. And they have an end mill that's actually meant for diving. It's one of these recessed end mills and the half inch dives in at a 10 degree ramp. So it's like crazy. Like ramping into titanium at 10 degrees with a big old half inch. Jeez. I mean, honest? Yeah, that exactly my point. Exactly. That was what I said. I'm like, you can't, you gotta be kidding me. And he's like, no, this is a real thing. We'll send you one, push it, see what happens. So here's the, they have, fortunately they have online speed calculators. So they're like, look, just follow these exactly. And tell us what they do. I'm like, oh, they're probably super conservative. And I look at it. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. I'm ramping it 20 inches a minute at 10 degrees, and it's literally just ripping down into parts. And that combined with high-speed HSM tool paths, it's like <laughs> the material just goes away. It's incredible. It's, it's a anyways. The, uh, so I've been I worked that stuff for the aluminum. I use uh, mostly Niagara cutters, but actually, Fraser is coming out with some really nice aluminum stuff too. I've actually been using them on my chain rings. Okay. And um. Yeah. It's, I don't like to have multiple sources for stuff. Like I just, it's like, I, I, I respect people that like find the best price for all this stuff that have the time to kind of sort through and go and do all that stuff. It's like, Hey, something, I got this company that they treat me well. They ship consistently. Everything's super easy. They, if I have a question, they have really talented application engineers on staff that that's just easier for me. You know what I mean? It's like I, to take that workload off so I don't have to think about it as much, it's worth a little extra money for me to like, for, for better quality and mill. And, and they resharpen them too. So it's like, that's the other great part is it's all, (laughs) it's all closed loop. Like I burn them up, I send them back, I get new ones. It's great.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And I totally agree. Like I, I find that having better customer service and ease of ordering is well worth an increase in price for me on tooling it, because like exactly, there's yeah. already so many barriers to getting parts done, like ordering material and all, yeah. all the things I have to do. I don't want to have to worry about like making my tools behave.
1: Exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, and and here's the funny thing: like I got in touch with them because they had a um. Not. I mean, one of the things that really connected me with them is they have a seven flute finisher, a, a quarter inch seven flute finisher for titanium that is just like what like I looked at this finish and it was just kind of like okay these guys know what the hell they're doing like it looked nothing like the rest of their tools they weren't trying to sell like a slightly different helix as a different tool it's like no no this is a tool that's clearly made for this application and I really respect that like they really break down their applications and they have designs that really seem to work well for each of these applications right Um, but yeah that diver it's I mean like of course it's like NB and like that is my absolute go-to like the corners are a little bit weak. So I use it for like hogging as much, but for getting into a pocket and just getting material out, it's incredible. Like it's just, it's yeah, it changed how I approach stuff. I mean, that plus not having through spindle. It's like, why am I going to drill anything? I'm just going to mill it now. These divers are incredible. Right.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So that's amazing. That's 10 degrees is a ton in titanium.
1: Yeah. And that's with the half inch I ramped it like 18 degrees with a quarter inch. Wow. Like it, like, yes, steel is 25 degrees. It's crazy. Like it's watching it go in. It looks like it's drilling a hole because it's going so deep so fast. And it's terrifying to watch the first few times. It's like, this can't be right. This (laughs) cannot possibly be right. Yeah. And it's really cool. It's it's really neat to watch. And more than that, it's great because it's the time that it saves me in making parts. Like I I can actually charge a fair price for these parts that should be way more expensive.
0: Right. Yeah, I find titanium... It's not as hard as people make it out to be, it, but it does take a little bit of dialing to get to where you're comfortable with it.
1: Well, exactly. I and mean, yeah, I mean, it has a very narrow range of what it'll let you do to it. But so long as you keep it in that range, you're good to go. I mean, you have to, yeah, it wears out. it wears out tools quicker, but you know, if you have an ear that's tuned to hear like when it starts making that noise, I'm doing air quotes that you can't see when it starts making that noise, it's like, okay, just time to get the next one in the machine. It's just. That's all it is. Right. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, like quarter inch and below seem to last just as long as they do in most other materials, like steel and titanium. Like I don't notice like an appreciably shortened tool life. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. So, but it's intimidating because when you make a mistake, it's really expensive and it happens really fast. Oh yeah. And I think for new machinists that, that can be really, that can cause you to pucker up pretty seriously.
0: Yeah. Well, and real, like milling, I haven't had too much issues, but drilling, like you, you start drilling and you're like, Such oh, it really sounds nemus- great. Yeah. And then you like turn your back and you're like, oh, well there,
1: there it goes. Like, okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. I, I've noticed that like for, for established tooling, for established programs, I run carbide end mills, but if I'm just, if I'm testing something out, cobalt actually works, sorry, not end mills, but drills, carbide drills. But if I'm just kind of getting a feel for something, actual cobalt mills actually work really well in titanium. If you don't, Plan on using them for a very long time,
0: right? Yeah i it, I went through this whole saga. I, I make some titanium parts for a customer and was making these two fifty six holes and broke like I don't know oh six boring drills trying to get it, and then finally switched to a Ken Metal Go drill and did two hundred plus holes with it. But mm-hmm. then I bought another one at it like a slightly bigger size and broke it off on the third hole. And then I was like, I was like, well, I don't have time to order anything more. And so I just was like, well, screw it. I'll, I'll put a cobalt drill in and see what it does. And like ended up making it through the rest of the, that
1: order. And I was like, yeah, well, thank goodness. Crazy, right. Like it doesn't make sense, but yeah, it's, I mean, and it's, yeah. Drilling is, is very much like in titanium to me, it's still a black art. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 something years and it's still just like, uh, like, yeah. I mean, I think that's why I was so excited about the diver and Mills is kind of like, oh, no drills. Yes. <laughs> I was so excited.
0: Yeah, well like Easton Mor- Moria so, manufacturing and I go back and forth because yeah. he loves drills and hates ramping into pockets and I'm the exact opposite. And so the, anything oh man, I, I gotta, can do to, to ramp is like that that's where I'm going.
1: Dude, I'll send you one of my regrinds. Cause they're, they're yeah, I'll, they're it's, it's worth like watching these things, just bury themselves in a piece in a tool piece in a work piece. Is just, oh, it's just, so satisfying. Yeah, that sounds nuts.
0: I, I can't yeah. imagine that in titanium.
1: Um, it's it's pretty well. And that's one of the benefits of the horizontal too, is that, I mean, you know, just so long as we're talking about the machines and stuff, but your chips are falling away. You don't have a chip puddle. You don't have a chip pile on the table. Like that's awesome, especially with titanium. So you're not recutting. You're not, that's like one of the really nice things about the spindle that I didn't anticipate is that it's like, Oh man, it's just, everything's gone. Like it isn't even dependent on like having a good high pressure coolant blast, but everything just falls away.
0: Well, and that, that leads perfectly into one of the questions from Jeffrey Ludwig and that is what is your most and least favorite aspect of using and owning a horizontal
1: machining center? Yeah. I mean, the least favorite is reduced work envelope. It's great being with a vertical. I can just put fixtures all over the table. will just be done. I can put big parts in the table too. With this one, it's it's a much smaller work envelope, but you know, like I said, I can do on this tombstone, I can hit 12 sides in one in one go. Like I can hit three sides of four different parts in one run. And um that's really cool. Like, I love that, like the the flexibility and then also being able to do slightly off-axis stuff, like just being able to machine tapers and do like contouring off-axis is, is really kind of nice. And uh, and yeah, and like I said, not having to like, especially with the smaller stuff where, where the coolant will blast the chips away, but just at the end of the day, not having to clean off the table. It's literally just blow out the cabinet, get the chips off the sides of the cabinet, hit stop and it's done. Everything falls right in the swamp and it's, it's really, it's an easy machine to live with on that level.
0: How is the chip evacuation on the Kitamura? Like, obviously, you've got the horizontal working for you, but, like, as far as yeah. getting it out of the sheet metal and into the, I'm assuming you have a conveyor?
1: Yeah, yeah. I got the, yeah, the the scraper style, so it actually, it really does a great job pulling them off the bottom of the machine. It's really good. I, every so often, like, once a day, like, there's areas where pockets start to collect of, of chips, and once or twice a day, I'll just get in there with the hose, with the air, and just blast them down into the, into the trough, and that's pretty much all I got to do. Okay. It has great washdown. It has... Great wash down. It has I mean, it's it's the the I, 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 I mean, it doesn't have great washdown, but it has the washdown stuff. So it's I mean, I think that's one of the inherent benefits of a of a horizontal is that the chips tend to want to do that. You know, it it if if I was going to add something to the machine, it would be just a couple of little coolant jets to clear out those areas where they where the chips do accumulate but i mean that's it's such a minor thing that it's kind of like it's not even this is it's i'm so lucky that that's the problem i get to complain about as opposed to a, a screw conveyor that's constantly gummed up with chips or you dropped an allen key in and it broke your screw it's you know that kind of thing
0: <laughs> yeah well and it sounds like they're not accumulating in places that affect either the pallet changer or the tool changer which is oh, the big no. thing
1: yeah yeah no not at all i mean it's it's actually really cool when it does the pallet change it actually has fairly high-pressure jets that actually blast off the pallet locating points and the uh-huh. whole thing as it's rotating. So it really cleans it off really well. And one of the things I do appreciate is that those parts are actually stainless. So it is, it's is—it's real nice. So if your coolant concentration drops, you're not going to get corrosion and stuff like that on those kind of critical mating parts.
0: Yeah, it's it's super important. Our spark changer, yeah. even with the jets underneath the, the locating studs, would occasionally yeah. throw a, a clamping error because there would just be so many Long stringy chips from like aluminum roughing under there. Oh yeah,
1: totally. But
0: even then, you you manually unclamp it, blow it out, and clamp it back up, and you're fine.
1: Yeah, no, this one, it's just the, yeah, just the general the way it's laid out. It just it doesn't even. I mean, it would have to. be. <laughs> The machine would literally have to be packed with chips to the level of the conveyor, or sorry, to the, <laughs> to the level of the, uh, to the level of the pallet for, for them to get in there. Like it's, fortunately I, I never let it go that far. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, no, I mean, it's the, it, the, and plus the tool changer, it's so fast. Like, I mean, my chip to chip time is five to seven seconds from at 30,000 RPM. Like it's that kind of fast. Like it's, it, it's really, it's, a, it's an amazing machine. I mean, it really like. I mean, I hate to sound like a shill, but it just, it's, it's been so easy to live with and work with and just, yeah, it's the Lexus of machining centers.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, have you thought about in the future field upgrading the tool changer or the pallet changer for size? Cause I know you can <sighs> um, add what up to a hundred something
1: tools and 10 pallets yeah they have i mean the way my shop is laid out i, I kind of built a shop around the machine like in terms of where we put it so i don't really have that option i if i was to add the uh, i would love to have 50 more tools but the reality is I have to change one or two tools on, on the regular. You know what I mean? For the most part, 40 of my tools are fixed and never get changed except for when they're worn out. And there's only about 10 that I have to change out from job to job. And it's just weird, random drills and taps. But yeah, I, I would love to have 50 more tools. I mean, that would just be, <laughs> that would be the bee's knees. And uh, But yeah, if I did the, 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 the pallet pool that they have, it actually limits the size of the pallets that you can use. So I actually couldn't do chain rings anymore. And it's pretty much everything, like it's uh, it kind of, it, if I understand it right, I haven't looked into it super close, but like the pictures that I've seen, it looks like it's more of like a smaller, like basically you're talking about like a fifth axis type vice as opposed to a tombstone at that point. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I, I really love having my tombstone in there and it's just, I, I honestly like... <laughs> It, yeah, it, you know, and, and aside from the fact that I just, I just don't have room, I have an 840 square foot shop, So like that's sort of the, and it, it's, I have, it, here's the thing is I have 800 square foot and I have room to work in the, in the shop. Like I can move around, I can do anything I want. I got like my machine zone, I got my setup area and it's just, it's nice. Cause I like, I don't feel like I'm having to move around stuff. Like that's a really like nice place to be. Mm-hmm. And if I had that stuff in there, it would really dominate the shop. It would really take away some of the openness of the shop. And the machine's glued to the floor, so I can't just shuffle it over a couple of feet. It's not, it's not a thing that's going to happen. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, when we're actually doing the remodel, so my shop used to be ugh, probably sharing too much because it's in a residential neighborhood, but it used to be a guest house. So we actually had to pour a new slab and where the machine is, it's actually 11 and a half inches thick, 11 to 12 inches thick where the machine is. So it actually is on a really stout slab. Yeah. That's yeah. And so I don't really have room to shuffle it over even two feet because the, the depth of the thing. So it's, uh, it pretty much lives where it lives. And uh, well, no, I mean, that whole, and the whole, there's like a whole side of the whole wall of the shop is kind of built around being able to pull the chip tray completely out from underneath the machine. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's this weird L shape. And so what I did is I actually put all those tool benches and everything that's in that area is on wheels so I can shuffle it out of the way. And so that way I can slide all the stuff out and then not have and get get full access to the chip tray for that every couple of years, like really deep, deep, deep cleaning, which is coming right up. Oh yeah, it's going to be fun it's but
0: uh now it's the worst <laughs> actually something i've been using this i've
1: been using this uh blazer this the the 735 this this coolant and uh-huh. it's actually like i look in the tank and it doesn't make me sad like there's no film there's no scum it's just kind of like oh i can really get behind this it beats up the paint in the machine like whatever the stuff is it really it's it, 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 i'm a little sex it really does it, it it's hard on the on the finishes but man, it just, it runs really well. And then it doesn't like the chip tray, like I look in there and it's like, I'm not scared of it. <laughs> like it is not a swamp. It's so nice because it's clear. It's almost clear. Right. And yeah. Um,
0: I, I used it for a little while yeah. in our Kitamura, oh, yeah. but it, it was a little bit too much of a pain for the upkeep as far as like the DI water and stuff. But it was always really nice on my skin. and And <laughs> yeah, like you said, it doesn't spoil at all.
1: Well, and I actually have a reverse osmosis filter set up in the bathroom. So it's pretty much, I can get five gallons out of that thing pretty easily. So it's just fill up a bucket, mix some up and toss it in. It's really, it's actually, they say to use DI, but reverse osmosis is so close. I mean, the difference is negligible and it works great. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they have some investment in deionized water. So, (laughs) but yeah, it's no reverse osmosis. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the machine is, the, the shop was built around this machine. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just... It really, and it's, I have a nice little work cell. So it's like when I'm, when I have a part that's running longer, I can be screwing around on the manual lathe or on the manual mill and just have that right behind me for, for restarting for doing whatever I need to. It's a really nice little zone right there. Totally. Yeah. So,
0: so another question we yeah, had yeah. from Iron Force Knives was many of your parts are a very lightweight design. How do you know when yeah. to stop re- doing weight <laughs> reduction on a component? Is it intuition, real world testing, finite element
1: analysis? It's, it's actually, it's, it's all of the above, the first parts that I made, like I, am they're not as light as they might seem, you know I mean? Like there's like, I I know that if I went through, like, if I really, if I was really diligent with generative design software, I could knock a lot of weight out of my designs, but there's, you know, some of it is just as simple as like being able to like figure out cross sections in your loads and being like, cool, this is well within the material strength. Some of it is just meant to like, like one of the parts that I make is a derailleur cage. And there's almost no load on it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's one of those things that it's like just making it look as cool and machined as possible, like really getting all the weight out that I can. But There is some stuff like that. It it is mostly intuition, but like with the chain rings, I've actually done structural analysis on them through fusion 360 and through like an actual engineer friend of mine, who's really, really talented. So it it is some of all of the above. It's just, it's knowing where like, okay, this part could hurt somebody if it fails. So I'm going to take some time and really do it right versus, oh, if this part fails, it's going to get a little, it's, it's an ugly part. So I think that's a lot of the, like if a derailleur cage bends, it's not real likely that if it's sorry, if it, if it yields in a plastic fashion, you know what I mean? If it like, if it takes a set, it's probably not going to completely fail. Like that's not a horrible thing, but you know, like with Firefly, we had one of the stem face plates cracked, like somebody tensioned one of them up and they got a crack at the screw head. It's like, holy shit. So we designed them, we sent them to the local testing lab and ran it at twice the load for twice the cycles. We did four times, the, you know, four times what was required to make sure that these things weren't gonna fail. And it's scary, you know what I mean? You don't wanna hurt people. So it's like for those kind of parts, it's like, okay, now we have a baseline for what these can be. Let's not take any more off. It's like, we can, we, well, we can be more creative, but it's like these are the spots. I think a lot of it too is like over, the, over time you learn where parts fail. And you know, where to stay away from like, okay, we can't thin this area out. Like, like underneath a bolt head, you can't really take away material there. So it's where you got have to like, and in this case, it was, uh, it was basically, I, I had an absolute blank spot and I didn't put a, I didn't use a, a radius end mill at this junction. And so it's basically that crack that basically right in that hard corner is where it cracked. It's aluminum hates hard corners like that. So it's a mix it's all of them. And it just depends the more likely a part is to hurt somebody when it fails is the more I'm gonna go down that full test full road of testing and analysis and all of that. Yeah, that's all that totally makes sense. But you know, like a headset cap, it's like cool, let's just take out as much material as we can and see when it starts to get flexible. It's <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like let's just keep making it lighter till it, till I can't get the surface finishes I like or till it actually bends in use. So like a lot of it is you want to figure out how the customer is going to use it. And figure, some customers are ham-fisted, so we have to leave a certain amount of material so that they can't just collapse this part. Like the part could be a lot lighter than it's made, but you want to make it so that the customer can't accidentally do something stupid because people don't always follow instructions. Like people like, I mean, I remember when I got started, I didn't have a torque wrench for years, five Newton meters. Who gives a shit? Like I'm going to tighten it till it's damn tight.
0: Well, we all think we know what 20 foot pounds feels like.
1: And then you're you're tightening like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. No, it's well it's like like I do a lot of work with these titanium cranks and you tighten them to 50 Newton meters, which seems like a lot. But it's actually not nearly as much as people think, like people are strong. I mean, I have a friend who we had to take it off his bike and I like, I had to give him a talking to him. Like, dude, this isn't okay. You don't need to tighten it down this much. You're not making it better. But yeah, so that's, that's a lot of it is it's like the parts could actually even be a lot lighter, but it's how do people use them is, is a big limiting factor for a lot of this stuff. It's like, I have to make sure that if this is over torqued or if it's under torqued, that these things aren't going to go wrong. So yeah. Makes sense. Yeah.
0: Moose engineering asked, do you plan cycle times to get out for a ride as parts run?
1: <laughs> I saw that. I love that one. And the funny thing is like, here's what's so weird. Like the, the universe, we're, we are in fact all connected. I'm quite sure of this. I was riding last night. I had just hit stop on the machine. I was done. I wanted to get a ride in before midnight. And I was thinking, I'm like, wow, these chain rings take like an hour and a half. Like I can start sneaking out for lunch rides now. <laughs> and so I don't plan it around that, but it's so weird that he mentioned that because I had literally had that thought last night while I was riding. Oh, so that's really amazing. Cool. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, now it's kind of like, okay, something if I turn down the feeds and speeds to like, well, here's the thing, like for titanium, I'm never going to walk away from the machine because like we're talking about when titanium goes wrong, it goes wrong fast and yep. it cascades down the machine. With the aluminum, with the chain rings, I'm never deep enough into the material that if one tool breaks, it's going to cause a, a holder to get, to interfere with the part, you know what I mean. Like that's my big concern. It's like I never want to punch a holder into a part. Like that's an end mill. Whatever, they're replaceable. That's the whole point. But you know, that's the nice thing about this. The the, the, the chain rings is that uh, yeah, I can. That's something I'm comfortable walking away from because a, it's aluminum. Which once you work with titanium, you get a little bit of ego about it.
0: Yeah, everybody's a hero and, in aluminum.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. It's so true. It's so <laughs> great. Well, especially with the machine that can really do it too. You know what I mean? Like I love having people look at it when it's like end mills ripping around at 300 inches a minute.
0: Yeah, I'm it's jealous of your 30K. Like, oh, uh, dude, it's that's so
1: great. super nice. And uh, although it's funny, though, the machine, I actually, the machine, it has this weird error. If you actually run it at 30, if it literally goes to 30,002 RPM, it'll shoot an error. So I run everything at 29,950. Oh, really? That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just well, it's just it's it's literally it's it well here the the machine actually has these really great safety features built in. That's actually something I meant to mention before, but it's like it actually notices like when there is a spindle situation, it'll actually rotate the part away from it. Like when I bumped it, like I thought I had actually bent the table, but it actually has a retract and rotate feature. So it, it's actually quite incredible. Like it actually does do some pretty some pretty good spindle protection.
0: That's super cool.
1: Yeah. Wow! Yeah, and plus it has all the monitoring, temperature monitoring. I mean, it's just it's got some really it's got some really neat stuff, and it has thermal compensation built in. It. It's it's pretty wild. But yeah, I I think I'm going to start basically when I get the chain rings. Once the chain rings are established, once the design is locked and they're running, like, I'm stoked to be able to run out at any point in the day when I got an hour and a half to kill. Yeah,
0: well, it sounds like so, yeah, lunchtime rides are are rough for. For sure, oh, thing
1: they're back on, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So for aluminum, I'm not. I mean, the funny thing is, though, most aluminum parts, again, with a 30k spindle, they're done so fast. I don't have time to walk away from the machine. But with the chain rings and with the double sided tombstone, I can do have op one and op two on the same tombstones. Literally, is just it, it goes. It every cycle start gives me a finished part.
0: Well, and I think that that's an excellent answer to Varco cycles. Have you ever cut aluminum as
1: well? Oh, Alan, uh, my <laughs> buddy. I've known him for a while. He's a good dude. Yeah, I actually, the, the first parts I actually made, the chain rings, the very first chain rings were seventy seventy five. That was what I got started in. And then I went right to titanium with them from there. I was just like, oh, this is cool. I like titanium. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's I, I like a challenge, you know what I mean? It's like, I really like, I love working with titanium because just the finish, it feels so like, it feels durable in your hand, you know what I mean? It, it's like the the density of the material just feels like something that means something. And I hate to say it like that, but I just don't know how else to phrase it right now. I
0: think a, that everybody listening probably knows what you mean. Like me and my business partner joke, when we make steel parts, we're like, oh, the steel is real. And like, yeah, you know, the, you get that same feeling from titanium where you're like, aluminum yeah, yeah. parts are cool, but like, it almost feels like holding a toy versus the real thing
1: exactly exactly it's like a nice ratchet versus some junky thing you get at harbor freight which just you can tell like the extra mass in the part means something yeah and it's funny because the lighter you make aluminum parts that's what people want people want the lightest shit possible but when you make it that light it's like is this really durable like i'm not so sure it's it's so it's a funny threshold to kind of like play with Definitely. But yeah, I, I love working with aluminum. It's like you said, everybody everybody's a hero in aluminum. And, and with a 30,000 RPM spindle, you can really be a real hero too, a superhero. Yeah. Well, and like you said, <laughs> watching
0: machines whip around at 300 inches a minute, like regardless of what you're doing, it's just cool. Like it's just oh, yeah. cool to watch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's fun. I mean, people come over, like I have all my, you know, everybody loves watching that machine running. So it's like, that's this crazy robot doing stuff. It's like you're making stuff out of nothing. You're sculpting at this point. I mean, that's the beauty of like newer parts is that they're so sculptural versus just the flat plate work that we, you know, always used to do. And uh, even the chain rings, there's a lot of sculptural assets to it and it's, sorry, aspects to it. And uh, yeah, it's really, it, it's it's the it, 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 it design now is it's, it, it's really exciting to see what people are doing with the stuff. I mean, I really love like what people are finding out generally generative design and like how it's affecting the parts that are coming out I'm not just in the bike industry like in general but like the bike stuff that i'm seeing that actually relies on finite element analysis and generative design is like oh that's fucking beautiful when you do it right and but the trick is you have to do that and then you also have to have your flavor you know what i mean like there's some chain rings that are done that you can see are clearly just done in a generative design and it's like okay yeah like that's not interesting you're like wow <laughs> you know, nature I mean, can be ugly like well, i didn't ex- know that yeah yeah exactly and uh, so it's it's I, and that's, that's one of the things, like, that's why I really actually like stress analysis, because it's like, I like to make parts that look, that look like they came out of a crazy engineer's workshop. It's like, I want, as opposed to like something that looks like it came out of, which is something that's like per, so perfectly optimized that it doesn't have character, like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't need that. There's plenty of people doing that. Like, I want my stuff to have character because I have character. I think, I mean, I don't
0: know. I think that the fact that people <laughs> buy your stuff is proof enough of that, of that, pretty, you know, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And they like your, your flavor of parts and then that's why you have a job. Like, that's yeah. pretty amazing.
1: Well, I mean, I, I have a job because the Firefly guys, uh, you know, they, they were desperate for a machinist. So if we, trace, <laughs> if we trace it back to that, that's the core That's the core thing that's happening here. But yeah, no, it's, I really, and that's the thing. So like coming back to the bike industry, there's been a lot of, so there was a lot of fear and trepidation for me because of how I left it. And I was, over the years, I was able to right most of those wrongs. And uh, the funny thing is, James Wong wrote a really nice piece about me. And the last couple of people who I hadn't, Made my amends, commented on that, and I got to take care of those. I mean, one of them's still in progress, but it's like it's really nice to like have like uh, a, a clean palette, a clean plate, and just how welcoming everybody's been. And it's just I love this stuff. It's like, like I said, the watches. Like I always felt like I was fighting an uphill battle, and with the bike stuff, the designs are just—it's in me. It's just it's something that I'm, yeah. Well,
0: and you very, still love very it very too. Fortunate.
1: Oh my God, it's, it's the best. I mean, it really cycling has saved my life in different ways, a bunch of times, and it's almost cost me my life a few times I might add, but, but yeah, it's, I, it's just, it's such a perfect machine. Definitely.
0: So the last so, question we have from Mark yeah. Uzi was, he'd love to hear what you advise for people wanting to get in, wanting to get into machining, specifically
1: those who love bikes. Yeah. I, it's uh, funny Is I was actually, I was actually messaging with him earlier. I, uh, what I, what I told him, which I'm going to tell anybody, which what is what we discussed is like, yeah, man, go, go to shop class, start there, learn, learn how the tools work and, uh, and then start bugging shops. That's it. The bike industry is full of a bunch of really passionate people. And I think we connect with that more than necessarily what your total, wow, I'm just forgetting all my words tonight. What your like experience doesn't matter so much as passion, like experience matters a lot. Like, don't get me wrong, but like, I think we see when somebody comes in with like, hey, I really I love doing this, can you show me? Like I'm down to show anybody. Like I, I love it when people come by now. Oh, and that's actually, sorry, one of the things I wanted to go back on. What I realized is like coming back, it's like, oh my God, there's room for all of us. Like at this point, like I don't have any like machining secrets or anything. Like somebody asked me how I do something. I'm like, oh yeah, here it is. You want the file? Like it's just, there's enough room that like, I know like you're not taking money off my plate. Like if I teach you how to do something, maybe you'll come back and show me a way to do it even better.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's definitely one of the like founding principles of this podcast is like, I love to share anything and everything I find that makes my job easier and hopefully will make somebody listening's job easier because yeah, exactly, but, like you said, I mean, it, that the the whole era of gatekeeping, this kind of knowledge it, is over and should be over. And so we've got to that's, do our part.
1: Thank you. Gatekeeping of knowledge. That's exactly what I was trying to say without such a clear choice of words. I mean, and that is the perfect word for it. It's like the knowledge is out there. Like, are you going to hold on to it and have people not want to work with you and share with you? Or are you going to give it away and let everybody and make everybody smarter? Like that's what I I tell people. It's like, look, we get smarter together.
0: Oh yeah. Well, and some of the biggest opportunities I've had for my personal development and my company's development have been because of sharing with people and Mm -hmm. it, it might not pay off today. It might not pay off tomorrow, but eventually something great will come out of it even if it's just the feeling of, oh, I helped that person and look how great they're doing.
1: Yeah, no, and that's that's the other thing too, is that it is really great to see like, I mean, I wish there was more people that I could like help and like sort of mentor locally. I mean, I've like, but there's a couple of people I've seen get started over the last couple of years and watching them get better and build their businesses is it's just, it's great. Like you said, it's just, it's like, oh, this is good. This like people becoming good at this skill set is really satisfying to watch, even from the sidelines.
0: De- yeah, definitely. So that ends our questions. Brings us to shop news and new things. What is new in your shop? Anything that you're looking forward to, or waiting to ship, or any of that kind um, of fun stuff?
1: Well, uh, I mean, right now, like the two big projects I have are these: uh, the derailleur cages and the and the chain rings. And I, it's just iterating those things has been a, a lot of work. It's, it's uh, new things. I bought a porta band, and I got one of those little. Sp- the swag stands for so that's kind of nice so i have a bandsaw again i have a vertical bandsaw again yeah i mean i'm kind of kidding because it's like a piece of trash but it's like it's better than having to try and use my horizontal bandsaw for stuff i have a really good workflow i uh, the only thing i really want to Im- uh, improve upon is i do want to get a little better tool presetting like uh, there's some really nice tool presetters out there and i think i want to invest in one of those at some point but it doesn't make financial sense right now it's not worth the benefit isn't really worth it right now but now i just i'm really i'm um, I'm super happy that i have my customers at firefly and that everybody's been responding to the chain rings and the derailleur cages like to have and uh, the chain rings
0: are wicked like having thanks, your logo you so embossed much, yeah. in there it was so
1: cool <laughs> that was actually a big that was i've been trying that that was a huge problem to solve for me because it's like i i wanted something subtle but like unmistakable and let me tell you something solidworks doing those little fillets in there like i don't know do you work with solidworks
0: uh, I use Fusion, but I, I have oh, done Fusion, a lot okay.
1: of solid. Yeah, Sol- Fusion actually handles fillets way better than SolidWorks does. So trying to fillet that, it's, it's only embossed 0. 0.65 millimeters, so it's, what is that, 25 thousandths of an inch. SolidWorks really doesn't like to connect those with the fillets that I need to, like... Like, I try and design my parts as machined, so, like, that way it doesn't have to do any real scalloping or anything like that. Like, it just it makes it much easier. Like, it's not going to be burying itself in any corners.
0: Right. Well, and then um, you could simulate and actually see, like comparison
1: exactly. back to the model and all that. Exactly. And that is a, a, a thin enough height that SolidWorks doesn't like trying to do like a one and a half millimeter fillet radius to that. So it's, it was a lot of, it was a bit of a pain in the ass, but I, people have been really connecting to it. Cause it's just, there's, yeah, it's just, it is one of those details that I think really people, people appreciate good design. And I, it's. Something that I tried to, there's some of the stuff that like, clearly like I'm I'm rehashing somebody's design work from the nineties with the magic motorcycle rings, like, but I'm trying to make it also my own, you know what I mean? So it's like, I want to update it to a point that it's not just a lazy rip off. It's like good design is very good. Design lasts.
0: Yeah, I think it looks great. uh, It kind of reminds me of like, not quite steampunk, but like almost like a a saw blade on the side of your bike. Like it's super cool.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, it's, like, you know, it's sort of, it's like, it's a little bit like their turbine blades or there's just, like I said, I'm fascinated with like automotive and like motorsports is always part of it and aviation. And it is like that kind of retro modern design as that's what makes me really happy. It's like stuff that. Yeah, pretty much you summed it up better than I did. So yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they are fantastic. Everybody should definitely I, 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 head over I, to your you so Instagram yeah. and check them out because they are super cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, And that's actually what the, that's as soon as the chain rings are done. That's actually what I'm waiting on for photography for the website. Like once I have uh, that design locked in, I'm actually going to launch the website. Cause if you only have one product, like literally the only regularly shipping thing that I have right now is those lock rings and uh, that's just PayPal's wonderful for one product.
0: (laughs) Right. Oh, and I I didn't realize I'm looking back through your Instagram. You're calling them sufferings 2.0. Yep. I love that full circle.
1: Full circle exactly i mean and and they are round so yeah that brings
0: yeah. me to the last question i ask every single guest which is what did you research this week and it can be anything and everything does not need to be machining related but what you know have you been going back to your phone to look up
1: throughout the week it's been honestly i spent a bunch of this week and so i had a friend of mine who's testing the chain rings through his chain on one of the rides and we found out there's some chain line issues And uh, I spent a long time figuring out that Cane Creek's published specifications and their instructions don't actually match and realizing kind of going through and sort of, I've been doing a lot of frame fitment stuff. It's basically, I've been researching, kind of looking at chain lines and sort of thinking what's involved and what the next step might be for cranks and chain rings and stuff like that. That's been a basically drivetrain, things that spin around the bottom bracket shell has been all that my head's been into the last week. Oh, and then also how to deworm a cat. Oh, no. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah this
1: poor guy just can't seem to he's god bless his little heart but he just yeah that's that's uh, not
0: a problem you ever want to deal with with any
1: kind no, of animal. It's, it's, uh. it's really it's really not and the fact that like i have to that i'm actually handling another animal's feces is like okay i gotta deal with this so yeah i don't have kits so this is as close as i'm getting
0: but it's hard to like balance the like I can't stand you right now because of what you did to my house, but also like I have so much sympathy and empathy for you. Like- yeah.
1: <laughs> well, exa- well, I mean, he, he he keeps it in one area, but it's but just seeing that is just kind of like, oh, you poor guy. Okay? And it's just, it's a recurring thing. So I'm just, I'm concerned about it at this point, whatever. Uh, but, but yeah, no, mostly just uh, looking at like drivetrain efficiency and chainline stuff and how to reduce wear and increase, decrease resistance and that kind of stuff. That's really what I've been sort of living in for the last few weeks.
0: So, how did that problem present? Did it just show as ab- or unequal wear on the
1: teeth, or? Uh, well, actually, what happened was it came up because so their instructions say one thing in terms of how to set everything up, like they say to have a spacer under the bottom bracket shell. And I, of course, did not read the instructions when I set up my bike. And the funny thing is, my bike set up perfectly right. The chain line came out right, and everything came out right. And then somebody showed me instructions some way oh, well, I don't know about that. And then I looked at their <laughs> Cane Creek's... Act- well, Cane Creek's really great because they actually have printed... They have the technical drawings for their Craigs online. So they have the spacing, they have all that stuff. And I'm like, I look at it and it doesn't add up to what their instructions say. So it's like the technical drawings are right, but the instructions are wrong. So it's kind of like, now it's like, okay, do I correct it in the rings, assuming that people are going to do it right, or just tell them like, hey, you have to take out that spacer, otherwise you're going to do it wrong. And it's... Mm. it's these. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful problem to have Like, but, you know, like, so I'm going off what the printed drawings for the crank itself is versus the instructions because the cranks, that's a hard part. That's not going to change. So, yeah. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a difficult choice, too, because like you said, like, some people don't read the instructions, which means that they might not read their instructions and do it right.
1: Which means they'll do it right. Exactly. Right. That's the messed up part. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: that's a tough decision.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, the people that I've talked about are like, Oh yeah, we noticed it. And it's so it was, it's it's a pretty easy fix. And it seems like that fixed the, the chain line issues that, that, you know, that these guys are having. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing to have to look through. And it's just, it's, I love solving little problems like that. Like just knowing that cool, this thing is better now. So how many iterations
0: does a product like that go through before you're ready to ship to people?
1: Oh, uh, the chain rings, that one is on, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll do a screen grab of the folder. There it's, it's five, five screens full of design iterations. I mean appreciably different iterations. I mean, it's, I think I've actually cut seven different versions of it in the past two months. And, and I'm getting close. You know what I mean? At this point, it's just, it's, it's basically the design of the arms is kind of the last point that I'm sort of landing on. But yeah, it's all the structural stuff looks good. I just worked it out with um, my guy at the testing lab to, uh, I have to make a BB shell for their fixture so we can actually do some ultimate strength testing because I want them to be light, but I also want them to be really, really stiff because I got big dudes riding on them. So.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, Um, like you said, I mean, that's, it, it probably won't fail catastrophically, but it's definitely not something you want to fail period. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And, and like I said, you know, it's like, it's yeah, yeah, I'm actually looking at a drawing of it on the screen that I was working on before we started the cast. And I, I just, I love that I get to do this. I feel so fortunate that like I found something that I feel like I have some talent at and uh, that people want, but it's something that makes people happy. Like that's the best part about it is that people look at it and it it brings that feeling in them and I just, I love that I get to share that and get paid for it. I mean, that's incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's amazing. <laughs> When you do designs like that, do you start with like a, a, a physical sketch or do you start in CAD?
1: Oh, no, I'm, I, I, my, both of my hands more or less are just good at holding things down. So like, <laughs> I, 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 literally, like I joke that my right hand is a paperweight. Like that's literally what it's good for. It punches the 10 key and it's a paperweight. Like I, I am not, I, I, I honestly iterate quicker on the computer. I mean, I have sketches, like if I'm sitting in front of the TV and I, I keep a notebook around just because it makes sense. Like I need to jot stuff down. But most of my iteration, like I I have an idea in my head and I work it out on the screen. Okay. That's
0: interesting. It seems like there's no rhyme or reason when I talk to the people who design their own products, whether it's drawings and then CAD or CAD only. And it's always cool to hear the differences.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I'm just. If I draw it, I'm gonna to have to draw it again in the computer and then I'm gonna to have to build it in three D. Like I can't like I know like I, I look at people that can sketch stuff out and volumetrically and it's just kinda of like, what kind of sorcery is that? Like I just <laughs> I can't do that. And I went to design school and I can't do that. Right. Like that's the that's the funny part. It's like I've been trained and I can't do that. So And, and actually yeah. before we wrap up, you yeah. also
0: have a form two,
1: I believe. I do, yes. So and how uh, how
0: much 3D printing do you do with these Products before you start Absolutely machining them.
1: Absolutely none at this point. I, I honestly, I am so disappointed with that thing. I, it's, it's, it's been uh, versus the Kitamura. It's like I've just, I've, I've had to fix it every, every, every print. Something else goes wrong. Like it literally really? did one. I, I had a form one. I, I just. I've never been happy with it. I've always thought the materials are way overpriced. I don't like the way their whole system is locked down. So you can't use aftermarket materials and get any of the benefits of the actual printer.
0: That's so interesting. Because I had one at work and like had almost zero issues with it. Like it was, I don't I mean, think I've read a fail print ever.
1: Wow. Oh my God. See, that's incredible. I literally have like a 40% minimum failure rate. Like I just got tired of throwing away super expensive material. Like that's the way it felt to me. It's just kind of like this stuff is not cheap and every. Everyone that fails is like a knife in the back. Oh, like totally. It feels.
0: Yeah, because like for uh, me, it was like, oh, I can justify the hundred dollar liter because I know it's going to be a hundred dollars with the parts. But like, if you're failing forty percent of the time, that's insane.
1: Well, I mean, it's like, and especially because I'm just I'm printing up samples, and honestly, it's I can I can make it out of aluminum quicker. Right. Like I can program and make the part out of aluminum quicker than I can print one on a Form Three on a Form Two. Wow. Like that's ridiculous. That's so like, interesting. That's, I mean, and, and you know, and to be fair, not with every chamfer, with every detail, but like at least for massing, for like seeing what the mass of this part is in real life, just to get a volume. Like, okay, this is what that volume is with general features. Cool. I'm gonna keep working on that. And like you said, everybody's a hero. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was all right. Like it did okay for a while, but it just seems like as they wear, like as it just the more I used it, the more, less reliable it got. It was great at first, and then just. It just seems like every print after a while, like towards the end, is just kind of like, I mean, and it's clean, like, believe me, I'm super meticulous about maintaining it, but it's just, you know, the tanks don't last and it's just, it got to be too expensive just to like, like the, the amount of design iterations I do, like I, I'm kind of one of these, like my, like, I like to move fast and break shit, like to borrow a phrase. <laughs> like, well, no, it's like, okay, how does this work? This doesn't quite work. Well, let's move on to the next one and just keep going through that. Like I used to be very dedicated to like getting absolutely everything right before I went to the machine. And now it's kind of like, look, aluminum is cheap and mills are relatively cheap. My time is expensive. So let me just knock this part out, see if it works. And that way I can know if I need to spend more time on it or if I can move on. It is what it is. And they just, every solution that they had required more money for me. And it just got to the point where it's like, I don't want to give you any more of my money. I'm done with you. Huh?
0: Uh, yeah, that's and, super uh, disappointing though. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that.
1: It is what it is. I mean, I got in when they were a Kickstarter company, so it's kind of like you 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 risk what you can't. It's always a risk with Kickstarter stuff. And they seem to have worked it out. Like the new machines look great, but it just at the whole like I just I got to the point where I can't give you more money with the promise of it'll work better next time.
0: Right. Yeah. Well and I, cause I had backed the form one as well. Oh, okay. I had cool. one of the first so, ones yeah. and then I did the Kickstarter upgrade to the one plus but yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear such a different perspective on the two. Uh, it's kind of disappointing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I, and I know people that have had great experience with it. And I, I don't want to poo poo it totally because it seems like their new hardware is really cool. But I just, they make printers that are just good enough to sell their supplies. That's the way it feels to me. They don't make a great printer, they make one that's really expensive, but it's just good enough to sell their supplies.
0: Yeah, and, uh, the, the lockdown ness has been like, because, The the frustrating thing is they let you use other people's resins, but then it deactivates all the fun features. Like it won't won't heat the the tank.
1: It doesn't do, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that is frustrating.
1: Yeah. But you know, this, that's the way stuff is done now. Everything, it's a commodities, like it's, everything's about like, yeah, they're going to make their money on the commodities as opposed to the actual devices. Right. Yeah. So, and I can't fault them for that. I just don't want to support that model anymore.
0: I, I totally understand. Yeah. So yeah. Well, Josh, I really appreciate you taking the time. It was super cool to hear everything that you've been doing and everything that you have done. Like it, it's such a, a great story, like to get to where
1: you are. Thank you so much. It's been a it's been a really fun journey for sure, and I, I know it's not even close to being over. So that's the best part. Definitely. And, and, th- and thank you so much for asking me on. I appreciate you listening to me uh, exposit for two and a half hours.
0: <laughs> no, no, I, I I appreciate you taking the time and. and Thanks to all the Patreon people who sponsor the show. It let me lets me send people like Josh headsets so that we can do this and you guys can have good audio. So thank you to everyone there. And thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back next week.